As always, the podcast is brought to you by Everproven CrossFit, located at 50 Crosby Road in Dover, New Hampshire. You can contact them at 603-740-0822 or stone at evrprvn.com. It's also brought to you by Port City Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, located at 8 Greenleaf Woods Drive in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Easiest way to contact them is portcitybjj at gmail.com or their website portcitybjj.com They're playing Pictionary or like they're playing. What, what's that? Uh, yeah, you write the, the the you draw the picture and people are supposed to like would, guess that it. Would be Pictionary. Yeah. yeah. So like you didn't have a childhood, did you? No. Um, <laughs> they they had it in like a prison cell and there was this one guy. His answer for everything was like a woman flying over with big breast scissors. <laughs> that was his answer for everything. <sighs> the end of the skit was somebody actually had to draw a woman flying over big breast scissors. Looking back at me, I see that I never really got it right. How's that? Glorious. <laughs> <laughs> Legendary, in fact. You've been rolling this whole time. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Even the woman flying over conversation? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> well, I think that should be the title of the episode. <laughs> Closer. Closer. <laughs> Welcome back to Sharp <laughs> Society. Uh, number whatever it is. 21. 21. Look 47. Lucky. We're legal to drink now. Woo! The podcast has been legal for freaking forever. Because you're old. Yes. Old as fuck, yep. as Elliot would say. Yep. Yeah, I announced that to a hallway the other day and disturbed a class mistakenly <laughs> where I work. <laughs> the entire class heard me yelling, I'm old as fuck. <laughs> Not exactly the most professional thing I've ever done. Nope. Speaking of unprofessional, Troy's back. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that should be the title of the episode. <laughs> Unprofessionally, Troy. <laughs> Story of my life. Uh, so, um, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me, fellas. I got uh, a little lost on the way down here. It was pretty... <laughs> You sure did. <laughs> Everybody's like, who's that Asian driving the Jeep? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Asians are good. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not insinuating that they're not real people because, you know, I know they're not. They're, they're aliens. <laughs> I think so. They're really slowly good taking, Slowly taking over the planet. Uh, so um, you recently competed. I did. I did. Um, it was the Icon up in uh, Portland, Maine, and it's uh, submission only. And for years, everybody, well, for however long they've been doing this one, they're like, that is your tournament. Like, you should do that. Because when I did the tap out for cancer, like, I don't, I don't understand the point system clearly. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, 
it's it seems like the gi competitions where what is that ibjj ibjf what the ib i ibjjf yeah it it seems like the competitors over there aren't really wrestling to win they're just wrestling to outpoint you um and that's that concept's kind of foreign to me it's like uh, i've always i mean it's my age but i was always taught you roll for the submission like you're going to try to choke this guy out and some of the competitors down there were just happy once they got a position to just sit there and hold you down in it. And, you know, shame on me for not being able to get out. But it was like, okay, you, you, you got side mount. Why don't you try to finish me or something? Because a lot of the way I roll is I try to catch things in the exchange. When you go for the arm bar, I either escape or I'm going to go for a counter submission or, or whatnot. So that, like, I felt like a fish out of water entirely. And poor Derek was coaching and he's, you know, shouting at me, you know, now do this, now do that, now do this. And I'm like, but I can't. He's holding me down. <laughs> this, is, this is the IBJJF. Yes. Oh, let's, ta- let's tap out cancer or tap cancer, which is a, an, like an awesome tournament because all of the proceeds from the tournament go to a local cancer research foundation, but they compete under ibjjf rules okay um and like the rule set for i mean i don't particularly i don't like i well can't say i don't like ibjjf because the best competitors in the world compete ibjjf so it's always fun to watch and kind of stay you know uh up on what's going on and who's winning what and everything because they're just the best competitors that they're very good at what they do but the rule set and there's a lot of um you know coercion to get certain people to the final like there's an old joke like if you're a brazilian and you're a brazilian referee and the other guy's not brazilian you're gonna win <laughs> like there's a lot of like nationalism and things like that um but yeah they make well and here's the other thing about the ibjf is they make all their money off the competitor not the spectator so it's very the rule set is very tailored to the competitor you know, like there's like there's a lot of submissions that aren't legal. There's a lot of positions that aren't legal. There's a lot of takedowns that aren't legal. Uh, they like to have a clear, definitive winner, so you have advantages, which is almost getting a point, like almost performing a maneuver or uh, getting to a position. They give you an advantage, so they they're just trying to have a clear, definite winner, so that someone moves on in the bracket and eventually gets a gold medal you know what i mean like that because that's what everyone wants when they go and compete is that glory of the gold medal but it kind of muddies the waters because now you can almost do something and it might not be quite an advantage but if you if they're looking for a clear winner that just give you the advantage anyway you know what i mean or if they have a biased referee it's very it's i would say it's the most subjective version of jujitsu or grappling where inherently grappling is a very objective activity you know what i mean so it gets kind of foggy when you start dealing with those rule sets i feel like it it almost feels like when i was competing in that event that most competitors weren't necessarily competing to win as much as they were competing not to lose and that makes for for me anyway that's a boring exchange like when i hit the mat with you i want to know that you're gonna try to finish and i'm gonna try to finish and you're not just going to be content like once you're ahead on points just to hold me down. It's like you, you're already ahead on points. Go, go for it. And I think Hicks and Gracie spoke to this on a, a Rogan podcast where he was like he was kind of 
trashing the the jujitsu world a, a little bit and saying like we've gotten away from what jujitsu is. It's a it's a combat martial arts sport, and nowadays people are just content to win be, via points. Nobody's trying to you know finish anything. And uh, I think Eddie Bravo said in on that, and, and and I think the consensus is yeah, that's exactly how that game is played. Is it's not. You're not there to to tear the other guy's head off or or try to win. You're just there not to lose and to try to advance to the next bracket, and that to me makes for a boring boring match. So this icon thing um, is submission only. Four minutes, not a lot of time to get to get the job done. And the difference, and and I didn't see it from your perspective. I just saw it from me being in there. The difference in, in his coaching me this time wasn't telling me what to do like okay now get onto your side okay now hip out all I kept hearing from Derek was get on it get on it get on it get on it <laughs> and and the truth is he, he's right like because I do notoriously start slow and I taper right off um, but he he certainly helped my progression tonight because I kept, I kept hearing him say don't give this guy any break. Just keep going and keep going. And I, I ended up hurting somebody, which I didn't want to do. And the funny thing is I looked up at him and he's like, just break it and take it home with you if he's not going to tap out. And that was the, and it did. It, it flicked that switch because for so long I've been in coach mode, rolling with people, letting them take positions so that they can work. And then I would take positions so I could work. And this was a totally different animal. It was trying to find my fangs again. And thanks to him, I think I did. Yeah, I mean, so just to kind of like go upon what Troy was talking about, like a lot of like, so I when Troy competes in the gi and he's under that rule set, I know I know he doesn't know the rule set, so it's very constructive. Like, put your hand here, get this, you know, what I mean, try to. It's you know, paint by numbers, right? Off balance, I'm, off balance here, right? Well, because like, well, I'm a dummy. He's. Like, <laughs> I mean, essentially, essentially, when you're coaching, though, it's paint by numbers anyway. You know no, what no, I mean? for you're sure. Like, you're for like sure. go to here and then do this and then do that. But that submission only tournament, I knew that Troy knows how to that that like he said that role that environment is catered to his style of rolling. So I just gave, that's what I try to do when I coach is just try to give everybody the information they need at the time, not, not anything, anything extra, because then you get kind of overwhelmed with, you know, what's going on. So I didn't have to tell Troy, you know, this is how you like walk him through a, a, a foot attack because he's an expert at those anyway. So I had to just give him what he needed, which was get your thumb out of your ass and fucking break this kid. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like that's, that's, well, that was the direction he did not put your hand here and get this underhook where someone like, Matt Barry, who was a wrestler his whole life, now you have to adapt it to that submission thing, is like, all right, you got to this position. All right, now this is what I want you to do. And you give him very constructive criticism. I didn't have to tell him to get moving. I just had to get him, tell him which direction to move in. Where at Troy, it was like, I didn't have to give him the direction to move in. I just had to tell him to get moving. So, so it was, it was more, more or less like just like he, he needed to give you just a green light to just be like, take, the, take his arm. Yeah, like, I, like, I roll like a nice guy. And a lot of times I shouldn't like, and he, even when we were training for this, like in class, he was like, you need to be hustling and not settle for position. And if uh, somebody's attacking something, don't get complacent and just let them have it, you know, fight, fight, fight. And that's, and that's what I did. And, and the truth is it wasn't, I wasn't tired because uh, I have buckets of cardio. Um, and the, and the, the fact of the matter is I do have the, 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 the tool set to, to finish these guys. All I needed to hear was keep going, keep going, keep going. And I, and I did. And I, 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 I was really happy with my performance insofar as I submitted everybody. Uh, there, and no, nothing went to a draw. And uh, there was only one instance where I felt the nice guy come out of me again. 
And thankfully, he was there, and he kind of wiped that slate clean. <laughs> and I, I, I'm pretty sure that kid's still having a hard time walking. I tend to do that. <laughs> wiped, wiped a nice can, clean clean. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was a great experience for me. I left on a high note. Um, and, it's, uh, I, and since that time, when I'm rolling at the gym, uh, I've kind of lost that nice guy part of me insofar as I'm not there to hurt anybody. But I'm definitely there to win every single match that – you know, I slap hands with, and and if I'm against a, a novice, I try to roll to their level, and I'm not I'm not mean by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, I've definitely found uh, a lust for victory, and uh, <laughs> bloodlust. No going back now. No, <laughs> no, we've we've, we've opened that door, and now we're going to step through. Right. Nah, I mean, I think that that, like I said, that that rule set kind of really caters to what Troy does and how he rolls, and um, I really couldn't have. I'm gone any better, you know? No, it was it, that yeah. truly it couldn't have it really couldn't have gone really any better. Really couldn't have gone any better for any of our c- competitors that day. I mean, uh I feel like you know we have this kid Tyler that trains at the academy, he's an absolute beast. Like any I I'd put him up against anybody at his belt level and his weight, but he kind of had the same thing too. He just needed to be have more faith in his technique and his skill and once he kind of figured that out, he was destroying people, but it just took him a minute to kind of figure that out. Matt Barry, who was an absolute inspiration he's so uh, proud of him yeah he's a he's a knee down amputee so he's got his knee but he's got no shin and foot and uh like i said wrestled his whole life and uh he destroyed he really did he he can uh, i i rolled him like i'm he's deceivingly strong he's really strong and he can put on some serious pressure right yeah uh, like I, I, when I roll with him, like uh, one time, like I was just like, "Holy shit!" Like this, like he's on. I'm feeling every single pound that he right. that he weighs. Right. And he had this kid Jake who was brand new as his first competition. I don't know how it happened. I think just because his he's used to getting beat up in the academy, like because he's he's one of these weird kids though. He doesn't have time to go to the fundamentals class, so he only walks into the advanced class. And our advanced class, they just go hard. So he stepped. He like literally was trial by fire, been thrown into the deep end right from day one, and he got a gold medal. And I think it was just because he's used to getting beat up and he didn't submit to submissions that weren't really there, and uh, he just hung in there for twelve matches or some crazy shit like that, and did sure. really well. I um I train at a lot of different gyms. At least I used to. Uh, not so much anymore. I'm pretty much Port City grounded. But the funny thing is, is you go and every school has like a very. When I roll with the Team Link guys, I roll differently than I have to roll at Port City. The Port City guys and and some of the Team Link guys, I would say like our version of a blue belt at Port City could go up against a lot of different schools purple belts. And I know that sounds conceited but because and i almost think it's it's because you're not an mma school you're strictly a a purist jujitsu school so that's all they do so when when one of our blue belts goes up against another blue belt i'm almost in my head i'm like well our guy's trained in super gravity for the whole time he's been at port city whereas these guys have been normal gravity their entire career so our guys are able to put a pressure on the other guys that they're not used to. And it's just because that's all they do is jujitsu. Oh yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, we almost have it. Uh, I mean, it's can go either way. You know what I mean? That there are pros and cons of both, but it's hard to get good at one thing or like when you're trying to train all that stuff, like at MMA school, you know, you're dedicating a, a lot of amount of time to your wrestling, your striking whether it be boxing or muay thai as a whole you know what i mean and then whatever style of 
other grappling jujitsu you're doing where we just dedicate 100 percent of the time to that grappling aspect of it. you know that's we have a an advantage when it comes to that situation you know what i mean and uh i was i was fortunate in that like the the kind of derek brings to the table um in jujitsu, what like a MMA fighter brings to you know the cage, insofar as he's very aggressive, he's looking to win. He wants he wants you to win. So we, we refer to him as the darkness. And during that that match, like I felt the darkness kind of seep in <laughs> a, a little bit because I had this I had this kid. Um, I've seen him I've seen him wrestle before, uh, so I wasn't very concerned about it. The, the neat thing about this one, because it was no gi and it was submission only, I didn't have a lot of like trepidation when I walked in there because I was kind of like, this is my world. This is no, this is nothing scary to me. Whereas when I throw on the gi, I'm kind of like, oh, this is fucking foreign as shit. Um, <clears throat> so the, I was fortunate and like, I, I'll, I'll get back to like the darkness part of it is this first kid did, wouldn't tap for anything. And I had a heel hook on him and uh, I kind of heard Derek's voice in the back of my head, like, just, just take it. So, I take it and his leg goes pow and I immediately let go because I'm expecting to see this kid scream and the referee's looking at me. He's like, no tap, no tap. He didn't tap. And I'm like, I just, I just popped something pretty important. I'm pretty sure no tap. So this kid puts his other foot into play because we're reset. <clears throat> that was a mistake because now I've got an inverted heel hook on his other yeah. leg. Just, just for uh, visual sake, uh, people that are listening that aren't familiar with this stuff, you want to explain a heel hook? Wow, that's hard to articulate <laughs> what a heel hook is. But basically, I have, I have your heel in like the forearm portion of my uh, arm. Well, the forearm, the forearm portion of what? My leg. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's been, a, it's, been, it's been a rough couple days. Anyway, um, and I've got my legs locked around him. So he's anchored down. We're both laying down my head's on one end, his head's on the other. And I have his heel in that position. And basically what it does is it causes a lot of stress on the knee and, and the ankle. Um, it's not, and it's one of those submissions that it's not just pain. If you don't tap out to this, you're going to get hurt. You're going to end up blowing an ACL. You're going to tear an ankle. It's going to be awful. So I'm usually very careful when I, like at the, at the school, you'll see me catch and just let go, especially if the guy starts rolling. People will roll the wrong way because they're in panic mode. And that's like the worst thing you can do is roll the, in the direction that I'm applying the force in because it's going to tear everything. So this kid just wouldn't tap. So he put his other leg in place. So the inverted heel hook, if without describing it um, physically, all I can say is if a straight ankle lock is a pawn, uh, in the game of chess, a heel hook is like a knight, and an inverted heel hook is like a queen. Um, that once I get that, it's it's typically game over. And for whatever reason, this kid either didn't see it or he didn't think it was going to happen. But the minute I cranked it, I watched his ankle deform, and then I watched his knee pop. He screamed. Referee stopped the match. The darkness is when the next kid took the mat with me, you could almost see the look on his face like, oh, shit, I don't want this guy to get a hold of my legs. To the fact that on the third guy that I, I wrestled, his coach was shouting, watch your legs, watch your legs. <laughs> I ended up getting him with a head and arm triangle because he was so concerned about his legs, he wasn't protecting his neck, which, uh, which worked in my favor. But I, I do remember having that feeling. Like I wanted, I wanted to look at the kid because he, he looked at me all like doe-eyed, like, are you going to pop my knee? And I wanted to look at him and just mouth the words, just as a little cerebral assassination. You're fucked. <laughs> I didn't, but I think my expression said it. 
Meanwhile, I'm yelling and screaming my ass, break that fucking chair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, hurt, I hurt that first kid to the point where he's limping off the mat. And I looked at Derek, kind of like, I need, I need you to tell me that what I just did was okay. And Derek's like, fucking break that shit, take it home with you. Break that shit, take it home with you. <laughs> well, in a sense, in a competition environment, like you're either going all out or you're going to try to prevent, you're going to tap. If you know that you're about to be fucked, you're going to tap because you know you're 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 going to a bad place. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, like I I remember. I think I think you said it like about last year. You you said like you could have put yourself in some dangerous positions and been potentially hurt, but like you didn't you didn't want to like go there and just be injured. Uh, well, I think last year when I competed in that tournament, the other thing too was like it had been like the first time that I had competed in probably five years or something like that so it took me a minute to kind of get that competition speed going again like i like a lot of like the first three guys i think i swept and got to mount within the first 30 seconds and then just sat and mount looking for where the real probably the better thing to do is like not end up in mount dismount and get to kind of a more i can't say more advantageous position no but a, a one that you can attack from easier or create opportunities from you know what I mean? Yeah. let them move a little bit and not be so worried about holding the position you know if if, if it would have been a points tournament i i mean no one would have scored a point on me you know what i mean but there were no points and a lot of those matches went to draws just because i it wasn't but looking back on it now like none of those kids were going to tap me you know what i mean i could have put myself in terrible positions just to make something happened. And that's kind of, I took that experience and kind of applied it to what Troy was doing. Cause I knew he was kind of in the same situation, hadn't competed in a while, you know, uh, hadn't competed in this format, you know, four minutes isn't a long time. You're round Robin, you know, all that stuff. So, and how the points work. So I took my experience and applied it to what Troy was doing. And that was the best advice I could give him was like, I know that you know what to do. Just go for it. Yeah. So, I mean, like at what point during a comp, during like a competition, do you, there, there's gotta be like, levels of like it was like okay do i keep on going from here and potentially get into a bad situation or like 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 what how at what point does it become worth it to like potentially get a little bit messed up well that that was that was the beauty of this tournament was uh the, i think the the gi tournaments um they foster that mindset of play it safe in this tournament is submission only so if you don't take a chance you're just going to end up with a draw and you're not going to get a gold medal by well you may but you're not going to unless you mow through your opponents and get your victories get your submissions um you're not going to to win that tournament so this particular format really fosters that whole idea that you kind of have to go for broke because if you settle for whatnot there's a good chance you're either going to take a silver or or not place at all so for me it was that first match um, I, I'm kind of, Derek and I are parallel a little bit in so far as I think for the longest time, the way we would compete isn't necessarily indicative of our skill set. at the, like at the gym, I'm very much at home, very comfortable. I'll take risks. I'll take chances. When you're faced with the possibility of losing in front of all these people, something happens to you where you're not as outgoing and you kind of retreat a little bit inside yourself thinking in your head like really I don't want to lose in front of all these people I just I you know it better not to lose and whatnot so I think he suffered from the same thing which was we'd go out and compete or when I like my last fight uh was in Rhode Island and I 
I had that kid, and uh, I, I'm smashing him up against the cage. Adam Rivera's there going, you got this, you got this. The kid's withering, and all of a sudden, I just stop, and I take the center again. And he's like, Adam's screaming. He's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I'm like, in my head, that's what I do in the gym. If I got somebody and they're withering in front of me, I reset so that they can gain their composure, and then I'll go after them again. When you compete, that can't be the case. When, you, when your opponent withers, that's the time for you to pour it on. Not get reckless, but pour it on. And that's what this tournament was able to do for me. I was able to kind of get out of coach mode, get out of being the nice guy, get out of being a, a teacher, and kind of be absorbed in, in my own abilities and what I could do. So it was after the first match, which was that poor kid's knee, I, I, I realized that I'm a lot stronger than these guys and I'm a lot faster and I have a particular skill set that they don't have or if they do have it, it's not quite as polished as mine. So after that first match, I really kind of felt invincible and I think in my head that helped flip the switch to go, you're, you're competing now and it's time to show everybody what you can or can't do. So I wasn't really afraid. I, didn't, I don't feel like I played it safe. Leg locks aren't particularly a safe game to play insofar as if you go for one and you lose it, you're scrambling now, to, and it's, it's, it's back, wrestling is back on. So you have to be relatively confident to grab one and hang on to it and, and finish it. And another thing that he taught, and you actually taught it with Kimura, and I think we talked about it in the, once you have it, don't let go of it. Hold on to it, because it'll bear fruit for you if, you just, if you're just a little patient. So um, as soon as I got that first match out of me, and all the nerves and everything kind of left me, I felt really at home on the mat um, to the point where we would take, you, they'd allow competitors like a four-minute break or a minute yeah. break or something like that. I'd stay right out on the mat, and I'm just bouncing around waiting for my next opponent. I felt really good, and I, I have to attribute that to that him constantly telling me, you know, you got this, just, just attack, 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 pressure, 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 don't stop. And that's what I did. Nice. So I, um, I mean, like, I know I'm very familiar with the road to competition as far as, like, CrossFit goes. Uh, or, 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 or shooting. Um, so what is the road to competition like in BJJ or, or MMA? Uh, I think it's way different in jujitsu than it is MMA, you know, just because that same thing you have to, I think that the success to MMA and I, I feel like the coaches that, that coach good MMA programs is that the best thing that they know how to do is time management. And it's not time management as in like, this is what you're going to do out through your day, but this is throughout the week or the month. So the lead up to whatever, this is the things that you're going to work on. You know what I mean? You have so only so much many hours in the day between now and whatever, you know, between working on your striking, your wrestling, your grappling, conditioning skills and things like that. Like they, they just can manage time really, really well. Where if you're grappling in jujitsu or some kind of grappling tournament, there's only really a couple things that you need to worry about is how is your grappling going and are you in shape? You know what I mean? So I feel like that's the, the biggest thing. Um, I think that probably uh, the one parallel that I would make between coaching MMA and coaching grappling is that you need to get into that kill or be killed kind of mindset that's what that whatever how many weeks it is before that where you want to peak you need to be in shape and have that mindset that i've done everything that i can do possibly do to be successful in my own training i can't control what they're going to do but i'm going to go out and be aggressive and i mean even, i mean the olympics are going on right now 
uh, I'm super stoked to watch the wrestling. Um, but it's because I've watched the buildup over the past couple months to that to the wrestling where they're trying to peak at the Olympics. And it's that you, you can see it come out when they like the qualifying, you know, you play a little safe and you try to just qualify without getting hurt right. and and just just make to the qualifications and then there are all these other little tournaments that build up you know it's a, a dual meet between usa and russia or something like that and you can see the aggressiveness come out like one of them um one of the guys right now that is wrestling on the, the olympic team he was actually the ninth seed in the trials and he ended up winning the trials at 145 pounds but his name's frank molinaro they call him the gorilla hulk he wrestled at uh um, Penn State, and I think he was. I think he was like a, only an All American once, national champion once. I, I don't think that he did. I mean, that's a huge accomplishment, but it's not like one of those guys who was three and four times, or or even two time. Um, but you could see he squeaked out the win at the trials, being the ninth seed. You know, played it, hit a really good game plan, whatever. And now you can see him aggressively getting more and more and more aggressive. I just watched um, his. Uh, like on the recap or whatever they, they they build up to the Olympics on the on NBC Sports because we have Apple TV so you can go watch and the replay or whatever it's a replay of his last match and it was against a dual meet against Russia and he just was absolutely they got they would call him the Gorilla Hulk because he's this 145 pound guy just watched him do uh, hang power cleans with 245. <laughs> yeah so like he's a small little strong guy but he's like clubbing guys getting this underhook whipping them through the air you know what I mean but he wasn't doing that stuff in the trials, you know right. what I mean? It, it's you almost, it's, a lot of it just has to do with that mindset that you're going to go out there and you're going to destroy, you know? The, the other difference is like, for, so for jiu-jitsu, training for this tournament, all I did was go into Port City and roll because that's that's going to be your best. And, you know, I've always kept myself in good shape, so I do all my cardio and conditioning and my strength training. I don't I don't try to incorporate that in jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu is where I go to get better at jiu-jitsu running five miles is where I go to get my cardio and then I go to, you know, swing some kettlebells or lift some weights to get my strength. Um, in MMA, you, you erect a fight camp. Um, and in a way, if you can get through the fight camp, the, the fight is somewhat easy because those 15 minutes are going to be whatever they're going to be or however, you know, however long the, the matches are, if it's 12 minutes, um, three, three round, uh, three, three minute matches. Um, Brent Kindenberger at uh, Link said it best because we'd all come in and if you had a potential fight coming up, you had to start your fight camp. And the guys were absolutely miserable because along with that, you got to worry about cutting weight. You're getting all your strength and conditioning at the same place. Um, you'd, you do MMA, then you go do jujitsu, and then you go downstairs and hit the air dine. And it's just, it's an absolute mental fatiguing process where you've got six weeks of this fight camp and in that time you've got a peak cardiovascular wise you have to maintain all your skill sets and you have to try not to get injured and i can't tell you how many mma fighters go in the cage injured already because right. they broke a rib during training or they they needed acl surgery from their last fight and they're still recovering from that while they're trying to do their fight camp this is such um a slice of heaven insofar as if you're relatively athletic and you keep yourself in good shape, all you have to do is concentrate on going to the, the port city and just roll to the best of your ability. And that takes so much pressure off you because you're, you don't think to yourself, okay, after I'm done my hour jujitsu session, I got to go do MMA. And then after MMA, I got to go downstairs, throw on the sauna suit, do a practice cut. Then I go home, eat next to nothing so that I can make weight. None of that for me anyway, none of that was involved with this tournament. Um, this tournament was, I, I walk around at 138 pounds 
that their cutoff was 140 and below. So that was, I, I actually wrestled at the weight that I walk around at, opposed to these guys who cut so, they suck so much weight, so much water, and then they try to go in there, rehydrate in one day, and go in there and perform at their best. I'm a big fan. I would love to see uh, like the UFC and other people do same day weigh in so people fight at their natural weight. I think you'd see. I think there's always going to be some some like people gaming the system anyway, and they're going to cut weight for that same day weigh in, which is super dangerous. I think that's why I, I like what they do now, where they have weigh ins all day. So you could cut weight, weigh in at eight o'clock in the morning, and then have a full, you know, seventy two hours or whatever it is. Eventually, is what you get to to, to rehydrate and all that stuff. Um, I think the other difference is like between that and um, and and MMA fight camp and you know, a jiu-jitsu training camp to get ready for it. You have way more opportunity to, you know, uh, as long as you don't like some tournaments, you know, you, it's one and done, you lose one and you're over, but a lot of tournaments too, they have like a consolation bracket or if you, you know, win your first two matches, the third match or how many people in your bracket. So one loss isn't going to, you know, make or break your day. And, you know, if you lose on a Sunday or lose on a Saturday and there's a tournament on a, on a Sunday, if you're healthy, you can go and compete that very next day if you want right. to where mma doesn't work like that no you, you take the and i mean unless it's a w- one hit you, you you press that guy's reset button on the first round you're walking out of there injured like um the same match i was telling you about where adam rivera was yelling at me because i took the center i tried kicking this guy in the ribs so many times that i kept catching the bottom of his elbow the very next day i couldn't walk out of like i i'm limping out of bed and i'm like there's no way i could compete yeah. tomorrow with if you ask me to, I'd right. be like, I'm, I'm damaged goods right. for sure. So, I mean, I think that that's like some big differences on the build up to whatever. Um, I mean, I think the other thing is like uh, some parallels are is you probably don't want to start adding new skills into your training. You know, if you, I mean, to make that parallel with CrossFit or something else, you know, like if you don't know how to do muscle ups the week before competition, you're probably not going to learn how to do muscle ups. You know what I mean? So if, if you're not particularly good at a certain aspect of your game, you probably don't want to be plugging it in, you know, something brand new right away. It's, it's, it's sharpening, you know, and that's when that real polishing comes into play is during that training camp. I feel like for sure. You know what I mean? You might have something that you're working on and you might polish that thing that you're working on, but you're not going to add anything brand new. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, it just sounds a lot like BJ, like training for BJJ is just do more BJJ. Right. Well, I, I think the other thing too is um, getting in shape for mm-hmm. BJJ is, I mean, you could be uh, the best, most technical practitioner in the world for jiu-jitsu but if you're not in shape and you go do a jiu-jitsu tournament the outcome probably isn't going to be very good you know what i mean so i would say that 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 would probably be the biggest difference between training jiu-jitsu every day and and trying to get good at jiu-jitsu and then training jiu-jitsu to be good at competing jiu-jitsu is the strength and conditioning aspect of it you for need sure. to, i mean we t- uh we've been we just talked about this before that the uh the podcast started is i I mean, I think I'm getting tendonitis in both my elbows, and I know it's 100% from start. Uh, we're doing a lot of wrestling at the academy. So it's like starting on your feet, and we're, we're going live. It's not really so much drills anymore. And if anybody out there, if you're a world-class CrossFitter, 
and you just happen to be listening to this podcast <laughs> or, <laughs> or, or, or someone who thinks they're in really good shape, come in and wrestle someone else starting yeah. from the feet. Cause I'm really good once it hits the ground and I'm really comfortable. And to be real honest, once it goes to the ground, I hardly break a sweat or start breathing heavy. But when it starts on the feet, guess what? I'm close to throwing up every time we go. Yeah, well, the whole stand up aspect of grappling is almost an art unto itself. Right. You know what I mean? If you, if you're good at, if you're good at judo, you're going to be, or if you're a good collegiate wrestler, you're going to be okay when you're starting on your feet. Um, I think the funny thing is, is as a, a former gym owner myself, you could get athletes that come in and like, Hey, I just, I did an iron man. I'm in pretty good shape. And you give them a couple rounds of smack and mitts and they're breathing heavy. I'm like, it's a different kind of in shape. Same thing. You get a guy who's really good kickboxer, real great stand up guy. And you put him on the mat and he wrestles. He's experiencing a different kind of, uh, you know, metabolic change in his body to try to compensate for what he's doing right now. So the, in my opinion, if you want to get, and I don't, I don't know anything about CrossFit other than I do the Murph every year for a friend of mine that owns a CrossFit gym. Can I plug it real quick? Yeah. Swift, it's Swift River CrossFit. Uh, Paul Mahler, Amy Mahler. Um, anyway, I know Paul. You do, yeah, good guy, yeah. real good guy. Yeah. For, former UFC fighter too. Not a lot of people knew that that before it was UFC. They had like the IFC, which was basically the UFC in its infancy, uh, and he fought a, a couple times there. He was one of the first guys to do it in this area. But anyway. Um, the be- in my opinion, the best way, and like I said, you can speak to this with, with CrossFit, is if, if you're going to do a wrestling tournament, you better fucking be wrestling right. to, tr- to train for that. No amount of push-ups, sit-ups, uh, ro- road work is going to prepare you for the type of cardio or strength that you're going to need when you lock horns with somebody. Conversely, if you're a great wrestler and you decide that you're going to try to stand up with somebody, that's a totally different kind of in shape to throw you know, 50 kicks in, in a round is going to exhaust you, even though you're what you believe to be the pinnacle of shape. I got to imagine that if, if you're doing, um, you know, presses or thrusters with a, with a, a kettlebell, if you've never done that before, even if you're a marathoner, you're going to have, uh, your, your body's going to be struggling. So if you want to get good at that particular Russian swings, you better be grabbing a kettlebell and doing some Russian swings during the day, son. Right. There's, there's something to be said for, uh, you know, specialized training yep. for sure, becoming a specialist in things. Which yeah. Is, well, I mean, yeah. it's like you're, you're, you're using muscles completely different when it like, if you're striking as opposed to actually like grappling. Like it's, it's, I mean, striking is like those fast switch muscles. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, it's like, it's like, it's like, like instant power. Yep. Uh, whereas like wrestling is like constant is pressure, like constant pressure. Yep. Right. You watch um, wrestlers throw a punch for the first time and literally their punch is slow as shit. It hurts. It don't get me wrong. <laughs> like with the first time Cody Lightfoot hit me, I thought I hit it. I thought I hit a bus, right. you know, I, I, I flash knockout. I was in the center of the ring. I, I, I get out of queer street and I find myself at the, at the corner of the ring <laughs> and everybody's looking at me cause my nose has exploded. Um, but they throw that punch with every muscle in their body tight at the same time. And it's like I said, you can see it coming from Detroit. And when it, when it, when it hits, it hits hard. But he can only throw like three of those punches before all of a sudden he's gassed out. You know, I think in stand-up, the trick is learning when you can relax and when you can't. And you got to be nice and loose until that moment of impact where you tighten everything up. Whereas wrestling, if I've got an underhook and I decide to get sloppy and loose with it, guess what? I'm going to lose that underhook or I'm, I'm going to get taken down. Wrestling, it requires, in my eyes, like the ability to constant pressure 
you can learn when to relax, but for the most part, when you're for however long that match is, you're engaging just about every single muscle that you have. Whereas when you're standing up and throwing bombs at people, if you're doing it smart, you're you're relaxing in between volleys of shots. Proficiency. Proficiency. It's the same thing with. I mean, I, I feel like we talk. Um, I've actually been listening to a lot of um, interviews and reading a lot of articles by um, Rob McDonald, like Bobby Maximus, the guy who yeah. does. Uh, Jim Jones, he's like that head. And Jim Jones, if you guys know Jim, Jim Jones, it's um, it's a lot like CrossFit. It's a, it's kind of a, a modality and a, and a training system. Uh, they seem to be a little more exclusive than CrossFit, not so you know forthcoming with the, everything that they're yeah. doing. I mean, they do the, a lot of Hollywood training. I, I know they trained all the guys for three hundred, but they do like a lot of like um, before or after spray painted abs. <laughs> there was know. only a couple of spray painted <laughs> abs. Uh, Gerards were real. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess Michael Fassbender's were, true, were real too because that guy's a fucking psycho. Um, and, and he's a. I, I'm not afraid to say this because I'm comfortable with my sexuality. Good looking fella. <laughs> he's he's a good looking dude. He is a good like, looking he's, dude. He's, he's, pre, he's probably like one of my favorite actors too. Oh, he, he's diverse, but that's besides the point. You and I will talk. You and I will talk after air about how we can get his phone number and maybe stock <laughs> stock him up a little bit. Like, hey, I'm not gay, but. <laughs> I thought maybe we could go out for martinis. <laughs> what movie? Oh, uh, did you see that movie that he was in where he played the the cowboy? Go oh West. Uh, oh, that's a great movie. Great, awesome movie. movie. Fuck it. and like it flew under the radar for some yeah, reason. No, like, not a, a lot of people saw it. Wait, what movie was this? The movie's called West. 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 Yeah, yep. and it's about he. I, they don't really even tell his backstory. I don't. No, think he's kind of like a mercenary sort of dude, but he's helping this kid travel and find. But I mean, he's got he's kind of no, a nefarious. Yeah. character and he's helping this kid so there's like there's a part of you that when you're watching it you want to like his oh, character isn't, isn't, he's like a he's like a f farmer at the beginning of it right or something like that or or he's just like he he's a rancher i, I know that this kid gets a girl taken from him was it i think that they fall in love and it's kind of like a romeo and, romeo and juliet her dad doesn't want him to be yeah, in love so it. they move west and they end up in like this cabin in the middle of this prairie and someone's following them for some reason and then the kid goes and on the way he gets into some trouble and Michael Fassbender's character kind of befriends him and starts to take care of him. And they, at the end of the, there's like this big fucking shootout and people die that you yeah. wouldn't expect to die. Yeah, and spo all spoiler stuff. alert. We don't want to ruin it for anybody, but you, you like, there's so many parts in the movie where you want to like his character, but you know he's up to no good at the same time. And yeah. it's, a per it's a perfect role for him because he's kind of a shifty eyed motherfucker to begin with. Right. I think I've been wanting to rent this for a while, but the girl doesn't like westerns. What? <laughs> yeah, my wife yeah. doesn't like fucking westerns either. But uh, anyway, Jim Jones. <laughs> they do. They do like a lot. They sidetrack. So, um, who he did programming for a team that won the CrossFit Games team like three years in a row before Mayhem Freedom won it. Uh, CrossFit UTE. What is the? I forget who the guy is. He's a pretty famous okay CrossFitter. Um, I don't remember. I, I like, I'm drawing a blank on his names, but I. But he does I know like programming for, like, but it's, it's very personalized. But one of the things that he was saying is like, if you're going like they do this, um, like one of because the, they have benchmark workouts too, like CrossFit does, and one of them is called the Fuck You 300, mm -hmm. and they try to get 300 calories on an assault bike in 10 minutes. Oh, which is like, but <laughs> which is awful, which is awful. And but he's like, he's like, yeah, I got 930 one time, <laughs> like, which is fucking ridiculous. Like, so they're obviously, in real, but he's, that's what he's saying is like, you need to be, you need, if you're going to do something, you need to 
specialize in it. So he's like, I literally sat in my fucking living room on an assault bike watching TV every night. Yep. <laughs> like that's like, so he's like, and I just got proficient at it. Like that's like, you. it's very like whatever sport you're going to play, the key is proficiency. Yep. The very first Tough Mudder that I did, um, and it was it was definitely the funnest because I was definitely going for time, and uh, I thought it was you know you read about it and you're like oh it was you know British Special Forces developed this obstacle course so I've got this mindset it wasn't it, it feels like recently like all those Spartans and and um, Tough Mudders have kind of changed they're to gentrified yeah, they are they are gentrified <laughs> they are. they're changed they're changed so you don't really you, the beasts still show up to compete. But then you've got this gaggle of people who are wearing like purple suits and they've spray painted. They're doing it drunk. Yeah, they've been drinking all night and they're like, yeah, we're going to do it. And they do it in like five, six hours. And you're you're like, I guess you just turn this into a fucking party. But in my eyes, it was a competition. But anyway, I I did a couple of them in like like completely different uh, events, like from one year to the next or one year. It was just like, holy shit, this is like this is really tough. And the next year I'm like. I'm running around a golf course. Yeah, this isn't this isn't tough. And so the first year I did it, I, I you know I tried to be prepared. So I pulled up the map and I figured out where all the obstacles were. And I'm like, okay, there's a big hill there. There's a big hill there. So I'd go to Planet Fitness and I get on the stairmaster and I would just because I wanted to be able to to get elevation on my legs, you know, just so I'd stay on the stairmaster for an hour at a pretty good clip. Moral of the story is when we're doing it, our team's doing really well. Chris Lapiano was doing it w- with us and really? stuff. We're doing really well. We get to this last hill, and it looks like fucking Omaha Beach. Like there are just <laughs> bodies laying. They're they're clutching. They're clutching their legs. They're like oh, I'm cramping up. I'm cramping up. And we're just kind of you know at a good pace headed up the hill. And I'm looking down. I'm like, did you fucking people not know what you were getting yourself into when you when you did this? You know. But that's the moral of that story is if you're gonna do something, you got to train to that event that you're doing. And I knew this was going to be all hills because you're climbing up a mountain. So to me, I'm like Stairmaster, and I, when I'm outside doing road work, I better be doing some fucking hills. Um, and I think so many... Um, there's, t- there's definitely a stratification in physical fitness where you've got a, a physical coach telling you, okay, this is your event, this is what you're going to do, and he has you do something completely fucking different. Like, you're, you're going to go run a marathon, but I'm going to have you swim... 100 laps in a pool every day between now and then and sometimes that fucking works and right. i'd love to know what what like what does that guy know or was it just like well swimming's real tough i'll just have you do that and it'll toughen you up for this and then you have the other side of that that stratification where it's very event oriented where you, we're going to train you on all the shit that you're going to be doing and that seems to make sense to me like it seems like that that would be the that's my my thought process like i'm not going to go train in a hyperbolic chamber if i'm going to play tennis you know i better be out there hitting a fucking ball in a racket but s- sometimes that works and i'm throwing that out there to you guys because i'm not a smart enough guy to figure out w- how that guy figured out that swimming 100 laps in a pool is going to get this guy ready for that event whereas the other coach is having him do events similar to that event does that make any sense am i articulating that right i think there's something to be said when you're talking about that to Really? The Predator? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Troy's phone's going off and it happens to be the Predator so sorry. sound. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. It's a big hit at Wentworth Douglas when I'm down there in, in, in the ER and they're like, what the hell is that sound? <laughs> anyway, moving right along. There's something to be said about doing really, really fucking hard things. Sure. You know what I mean? So I think that that 
I think one of the things that goes along with what you're saying is getting your, getting to the point where you're, you're mentally broken. You know what I mean? I think if you have like, so that was one of the things that like you talked about, like the different aspects of, you know, like if you're a boxer and you're going to strike and you get really tired or, you know, if you come in and you are a crossfitter and you try crossfit for the first time, I mean, some of the, I mean, Sean Ramirez, I know you don't like the guy, but uh, <laughs> one of the reasons I think that he wins the 40 and over CrossFit games every year is because he was a fucking nasty college wrestler. Right. So he can go to that place in his mind better than anybody else in the entire world where he knows where, yeah, you know what? I'm fucking tired, but my body can take a lot more than what I'm giving it right now. So I think there's a, a certain aspect to that. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that was the breakthrough in my jujitsu was I never went to that place in my mind. I had all the skill in the world, but I wasn't confident in the fact that I could keep up and then doing CrossFit. And it was a weird bouncing back and forth because I went into CrossFit with a jiu-jitsu background knowing that I could take a lot of punishment, but then I broke through that threshold using CrossFit so then I can yeah. go back to jiu-jitsu and be like, oh, fucking, I've rode the assault bike till my fucking lungs are going to explode. I'm not that tired right now. Right. You know what I mean? So I think that the, that those things where you're talking about, yeah, you're going to run, run a marathon, but you're going to swim a million fucking laps. The million laps isn't to get you in shape. It's to beat you up mentally. Maybe. Maybe. You know I mean, I feel like there's, or it, it may not be like that all the time, but there's a, there's a value to that. You know what I mean? Like in. Sure. There's always, there's always a value when you're competing where you're brought to that dark place and you realize like there's always that moment. And I experienced that at team link when I was training down there, there's that moment where you go, I can't like, I would rather, sit here for just a second and let you punch me up against the cage because I'm too tired to put my goddamn hands up and block. So I'm going to take a couple shots. And then you, either you push through it or you don't. You know, you sit there and you just, your head looks like a potato at the end of the night because somebody hit you so many times. Or you go, actually, you know what? I do have this. I'm just being lazy and I need to really reach deep down inside. So I think that speaks to that point where yeah. you come to that place where like I'm broken and I can't take another step somewhere that other step is inside you. You just have to figure out how to pull it out of you. Right. And that's that mental switch that you need. So perhaps you're right. Perhaps the, the million laps in the swimming pool is just to break you down and say, as tired as I am, if I stop paddling, I'm going to drown. Right. So I need to keep swimming. Right. So when he's out there running his ultra marathon and he's at his 30th mile and he's like, I don't think I could take another step. You go, oh, wait a minute. I've been this tired before and I was able to swim to the other end of the pool. So maybe maybe that right. is it. But um, it, well, I always think, I mean, was this, is this a real thing that happened that somebody like, like threw him in the pool or you just <clears> throwing <throat> that out there? <clears throat> Sorry. No, I, I listen to like a lot of podcasts and I, I love any episode of podcasts that are biohacking where people are trying to break through what makes us human. Like initially they said, there's no such, it's impossible to run a four minute mile. And then all of a sudden somebody did it. And then all of a sudden everybody can eat or this it as human beings. It's almost as if we limit ourselves and say like, Hey, this can't be done. And then once it's done, all of a sudden you're finding people coming out of the woodwork and they can do it too. So I listened to all those biohacking, um, podcasts where guys are like, yeah, if you want to do this, you just have to eat so much kale, sleep in a hyperbolic chamber and take this amino acid. And I, I love, I love learning stuff like that. My wife the other day was on my pod, uh, well, she was on my iPad and she's looking at my, uh, my search history, which is, <laughs> yeah, dangerous. Yeah. Area. I was like, Oh, that's, I get my, that's, that's, I get my current events on that website. Um, yeah. Um, but she's asking me, she's like, why are you looking up like human interaction with, uh, oxytocin? Why are you looking up 
large amounts of vitamin D. Are you looking to, you know, what are you, are you looking to overdose on vitamin D or what are you trying to do? I'm like, well, no, I was listening to a podcast with Dr. Rhonda Patrick and she was saying that if I spent 20 minutes in a sauna, that in that time, my human growth hormone factor that my body creates will increase by 100%. Now, the window that it lasts doesn't last that long, but it's great for healing. And it's also great for mental toughness because when you're in that sauna and you're dying at that 20-minute mark, your body's releasing all these dopamines inside your head to cope with the stress that you're putting your body under. But you know, So she was super suspicious at like, why are, you, why are you looking at this? Why are you looking at that? And it's like, I'm so interested in seeing how far I can push um, this. This to me is like a, a mechanized suit you know, uh, the, everything else is up here. Can I make this suit? Cause this is, the, the funny part of that is I have to live with the cards I was dealt with. I'm five foot three, 138 pounds. I'm not going to be a professional basketball player. I, I can accept that. Uh, that doesn't mean I can't pick up a basketball and, you know, and fucking shoot the fuck out of that ball. Um, so I want to see, I'm very interested, especially in my older age, how far can I push this? How far can it go? So when somebody says, hey, if you take CoQ10 and L-arginine, it has this effect on your body. Now, granted, it's a little dangerous because it's not FDA regulated and stuff like that, but I'm super interested. If steroids were legal, I'd be taking steroids all the time. I'd be experimenting, like, how can I make this stronger safely? I'm not an idiot. You know, I'm not going to sit there and do, like, five cycles back-to-back with no post-cycle therapy or anything like that. But I would love to see how far I could push this before. Because life is finite. You're going to die. It could be tomorrow. It could be a week from today. Why wouldn't you want to see how much you can do with this in whatever time that you have left? So to me, like, biohacking is, is, is cool as fuck. So to answer your question... Um, when I listen to those podcasts, I hear things about athletes training for an event and their strength and conditioning coach is having them do something that's so unrelated to that event that in my head, I want to find some sort of correlation as to why the hell he's got this guy sitting in a sauna for 30 minutes and then, and then, uh, what is it? Cryotherapy and having his blood spun. And like, I want to know what T cells are doing in my body and what, you know, how can I harness, you know, is there a way that the average, I don't have the money to go do a cryo chamber. I, I, I get mildly offended when people like call that fringe training. Um, whereas like all you are really doing is just doing like kind of an experimental uh, and and you're breaking things down scientifically and, and trying to figure out like what is, what what will actually work. But like like we haven't I mean we're 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 on the we're on the tip of like the iceberg as far as like what, what we can figure out or what our body sure. can do. And the only like we've gotten so far because people have been asking those questions and been like, well, like, like, well, what's going to happen if we do this? Like, what's going to happen if I throw somebody in a pool and tell them to go run an awesome marathon? Like, and my mind is like kind of picking it apart and be like, be like, well, I can see this benefit and this benefit and this benefit. Um, like, like, yeah, that, that would be great. And I'm thinking about my own life. Like when it, 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 it it's like, I became like a really, really good sprinter because I rode my bike to work uh, up and down hills when I was 16. And like I made it to like I, I went from being a center on the football team to uh, being a fullback because like I biked all summer. And all of sure. a sudden my coach was like, where'd you come from? Right. <laughs> like, yeah, where, where did you get that where, strength? Where did your leg power asset. come from? It's yeah. like. I was riding my bike to work on uh, like semi-flat tires and up and down hills from 
You me, I geed that shit. You were wax on, <laughs> wax offing, and when you got back on the football field, you're like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" <laughs> you um, me, I geed it. So yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually like, we're gonna continue this conversation. We might start texting to each other. Be like, "Hey, do you hear about this?" Yeah, I, I okay. love new. How shit. much vitamin D do you take a day? Uh, is it, I probably overdose because I take about, <laughs> I take about five thousand. Is it I use or? Yeah, you, you, I take that's about, how much I take too. I take about 5,000. And the recommended dosage is well below that. But, you know, I read so many studies that us in the Northeast are so vitamin D deprived because of the lack of sunlight and we're in offices all day. I mean, we do, we do terrible shit to our body. Like I sit in a car all day and drive to all these different remote places to do paperwork. And then all of a sudden I'll get pulled and I'll have to go sit in a courtroom. Like I'm not getting exposed to any of the elements that I think should be making me a tougher human being. There's something to be said for a roofer who's up on the, like you've wrestled with guys who were like, Hey, what do you do for work? And they're like, Oh, I'm a carpenter. And all of a sudden you're, you're dealing with grip strength that you've never felt before. You know, I don't, I don't have that, that luxury to have a job where it allows me to you know, toughen my body up. In fact, if anything, it's deteriorating. You know, I spend eight hours a day. It, I feel like in a deprivation, you know, tank where I'm not getting a lot of stimulus. I'm not getting a lot of stress. And I think stress is super important to making us adapt and, and be stronger. When you see somebody, I look at like, like California. Uh, 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 let me, let me backtrack. Uh, 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 let me share something with you. So, there was a there was a, a point in time where um, I felt like I was dealing with so much with work and stuff that I went to go to a post traumatic stress counselor uh, and I'm in a room with a bunch of dudes who all suffer from post traumatic stress you know and it's kind of like an AA meeting not that I've been to one um, where they where they basically everybody just kind of tells their story and there's this guy and he did like three tours in Afghanistan and he's like yeah Alvarez you know stepped on an improvised explosive device and there was nothing left of him but like a boot and like a, a red you know 10 meter perimeter where he was standing and now he's gone and I haven't been able to get that image out of him and I'm like well clearly I don't fucking belong here because this guy's story is way more hellacious than mine um, I had to give a, a child the CPR and the infant ended up dying. And that for whatever reason that like sticks in my craw to this day, I'll be sitting at the dinner table and push my food away. Cause I, you know, it's not that big of a deal, but over time, I think, I think law enforcement is a 20 year gig, sometimes a little bit longer. I'm not seeing what the guys in Afghanistan are seeing in a short period of time. What I'm experiencing is a slow burn. And, uh, you know, you, you, you can go a month without seeing anything horrific. And then you roll up on a accident scene and there's bodies all over the place. Um, so I like to, you know, cops, we like to think that we're, we're tougher than that. So we kind of stow that maybe self-medicate with alcohol and do a whole bunch of stuff. But anyway, I'm in this, this group talk and this guy getting back to stress, this guy just got done telling his horrific story and it was awful. Then this other guy is like an executive of like one of those financial companies. It's that help you invest money and stuff like that. But clearly you could just tell he's a business type. He's wearing a suit and a tie, kind of geeky. He's got glasses. Um, so immediately I was like, nerd. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but so anyway, I shit you not. He goes, I was picked on a lot in grammar school and I was picked on a lot in high school. Then when I got to college, you know, I never had a girlfriend. I always just, you know, maintained my grade point average and I got picked on a lot then too. And now when my boss yells at me, it triggers that response that I've been picked on a lot and I have a real hard time dealing with it. I go home angry every day and this, that, and the other thing. And I'm like, what fucking delicate mushroom are you 
that you've never been trampled on your entire life and in your experience like this guy just told a horrific story about his his best friend the fact that you don't have the balls to fucking and, talk and, and, fucking and, drives me nuts. And, and you don't like getting yelled at well guess what motherfucker nobody likes getting yelled at that's why people yell at you is because they know you don't like it you need to grow some fucking armor and, and get through that shit so I didn't I ended up staying through the whole session because I figured that between the delicate fucking North Pacific mushroom over there and this hardened battle warrior over here I fell somewhere in between the middle but this guy to back to the point is he's that example of somebody who's never experienced true stress his stress is self-perceived i've been picked on well you needed to learn how to deal with that back then and, and if you're still dealing with it now then go take jujitsu or go to crossfit figure that shit out this guy is dealing with some real world shit and he is this guy this guy's, in my opinion, even though he's probably messed up in the head, way more well-adjusted than that guy who needs a fucking safe place to go when somebody yells at him. Right. You know what I mean? So we live in an environment where stress is always mitigated, and we're trying to make it so that you don't have to feel stress because stress is bad. And in my opinion, stress is good because if you don't get stressed, you're never going to be forced to change anything about yourself. And the chances of you coming right out of the box perfect is slim to fucking none. You need a little stress to help change the way you go does that make sense stress changes everything it absolutely does it, I, mean, I mean like like to, to grow muscle you have to put stress on it you got to tear some shit yeah yeah no no and and, and it's it, it's one of those things where there's um, no free lunch that's, no that's that's, <laughs> no. that's that's my favorite right there i i and and a lot a lot of time i hear this all the time from from uh my girlfriend is is like is perspective like some people just need perspective, perspective, perspective. It's it's like it's like ah, oh, my knee is hurting. Like I'm getting old. Like like I just want my knee to like function correctly and and all this stuff. And and, and she's like, like, well, at least you have a knee. Because <laughs> there's it was like I treated somebody today that like did not have a knee. <laughs> right. And I was like, I hate you sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but it's completely true. Yep. I mean, some people like they they whine about this and whine about that, and um, <laughs> man, I'm getting hunted. Sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry. My phone's blowing up. I'm getting flashbacks. <laughs> Might be getting some. Careful, he's a delicate mushroom. <laughs> um, but uh, it's it, it's like you have to gain perspective yeah. and that's probably like i mean whoever was leading that talk probably should have just been like yo boy in the suit um go get some perspective yeah. like did you not just hear about alvarez yeah. yeah like did you not hear about that like you need to gain perspective i have just kind of went through an experience like that recently um i'll kind of leave names and specifics out of the out of that scenario just out of respect but uh tell me their names later oh i will um <laughs> i had to give a uh like it was like a corporate private lesson on uh thursday morning at 6 a.m so i roll in there one coffee deep which is not enough <laughs> and had to give a, like a, a self-defense outing situation to a corporate a, a, a local corporation of people it was uh, four girls and two guys, and uh, I've seen movies that begin like that. <laughs> Believe Wrong me. movie. <laughs> no, not not the right movie. <laughs> and it was just it was like so we talk about this all the time about how you know we we always talk about how the world is getting soft. Yeah, but you actually don't realize how soft the world is getting until it's right there. Like I complain about all the time, and I'm like, 
this is the exact shit I'm complaining about. Yeah. But it got to the point where like I would show something, you know, and it's all well and good. We go to the academy, we have a good time, we laugh and joke around, whatever, and then we beat the shit out of each other. But it was like I would show something and there'd be a ton of laughing and giggling, half assing it, you know, like whatever. And I'll, I wanted to just be like, Look, it, I'm doing jujitsu. Right. It got to the point where like I would speak up real and then <laughs> yeah. go and, and flinch and look at me. And I'd be like, like just and I don't think they were getting what I was doing, but I'm like, you have you're, this is all fun and games till someone in a dark alley tries to hold you down and fucking rape you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. and and that's what this is. I'm teaching you how to not have that happen. And you're over there fucking around. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. I want to be like Jesus H Christ. And I so it got to the point where like it was one of our members was is works at the the business and set the whole thing up. So I called him over and I'm like, go over. And hold one of those girls down. Like, don't be a dick about it, but give them a little pressure. And like the whole scenario fucking changed. You know what I mean? Like they were they like you could see the realization shit on their got face. Real. Like shit got real. And that, yeah. at the end of it, I'm like, I don't want to like inundate you with too much shit. I don't want to teach you too many techniques or, or get specific. I'm trying to show you simple things you can do under stress. I'm like, but there's some things you can do that will prevent a lot of bad things happening. I'm like, you know. If it's cold out, don't not bring a jacket right. and wear a fucking skirt and sandals. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like, fucking be prepared a little bit. I'm like, if there's, just because that dark alley is a shortcut, don't walk down that dark alley by yourself. <laughs> Maybe take the scenic route. Right. Take your fucking earbuds out of your fucking ears if and stop crossing- looking at, right, and stop <laughs> looking at your goddamn phone in the middle of the night. You know, like, it was like, but you could, I was telling them this and they're like, like, like they were fucking flabbergasted yeah. that that stuff even would make a difference. It was crazy. It was the craziest shit ever. No, and the funny thing is, is the circles that we run in, um, we're surra- hyper vigilant. We're 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 sur- surrounded by like minded individuals. So we're always thinking. Not always. It's not like I'm walking around, you know, with my AR out. Like, what was that? Um, but we're 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 in that circle where we're with like-minded people and when you jump out of that circle which i used to hate it when i'd have to go do a function with uh you know c- civilians because they have they do have a lot of questions like hey a buddy of mine was stopped the other day the cop had no reason to stop him but he stopped him anyway and i'm like your buddy's not telling you the whole story here pal but th- you're dealing with a ethos of of uh of people who they they literally have no clue this is none none of their faculties it never even dawns on them that you could be victimized here real quickly if you don't take some some precautionary steps. And they're like, "Oh, you're some nut, you know? Go go back in your bunker." And it's like, "No, no, no! I'm I'm telling you, a lot of this shit can be prevented if you just swung a kettlebell a little bit, or did some jujitsu, or smacked a heavy, go buy a heavy bag, and just put yourself in that mindset where the possibility of me having to physically defend myself or somebody else is a real possibility, especially in today's day and age." It bl- it'll blow your mind how soft fucking people are. Oh, I think it's even more like the the fact that people have no fucking clue who's out there. You no. know what I mean? Like you see the shit on the news and like, oh, that psycho in fucking Syria chopped that guy's head off. Well, you know, if you're fucking Mr. Pencil Pusher at wherever the fuck you work and you run into someone like me who's having a bad fucking day, guess what? Your whole fucking life's going to change. But then there are people out there like, I don't know, my good friend Jared Weiner, who is fucking way more of a fucking hard ass than I am and way more skilled at hurting people than I am. And if you run into him on a fucking bad day, life's over. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and not to saying like, 
I or Jared would do anything like that because we're both good guys. But there are guys that are equally as skilled as I am or equally as skilled as Jared who aren't fucking good people. You know what I mean? So just having a little the, the wherewithal to avoid those situations and being a little physically prepared to deal with it if it happens goes a long fucking way. Yeah, just, if, I mean, just prepared. I mean, period. Yeah, I mean, period. Don't walk around with your with with your eyes down and like your your horse blinders on, <laughs> right. thinking like everything's gonna be okay. But like, and the worst absolute worst thing you can do is say oh that's never gonna happen to me right that I, like my mom says that shit and drives me off the wall i was like oh that can't happen to me yes it can it can happen to anybody at any time at like anywhere and it can happen uh, not saying it will happen, but it can happen and why wouldn't you be prepared for that it, it seems like there's this huge shift in the way people are thinking nowadays where it's so much easier to go online like on Facebook or Twitter and try to be some sort of social justice warrior um, you know oh, what, what you said what you said about Hillary Clinton was misogynistic and blah 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 <laughs> blah um, they, they, everybody's so willing to take up the pen and paper and, and fight the good fight so few people are w- willing to go sweat and bleed in a gym right. we, we've totally shifted to like you know well I'm a superhero online you know right. but offline are you, can you handle yourself? You know, but the, and, the, and the sad fact of the matter is, is it's probably more beneficial to you in the long run nowadays to be a superhero online right. per se. Um, the benefits of being a badass in real life probably not as you know important as it was say a hundred years ago. Um, but it's, it's this real shift in like you have all these people with all these righteous fucking causes, and they're going to come after you hard if they disagree with you. Um, but it's like, oh, okay, well, do you want to settle this? Like, come down to the gym, and if you really hate me that much for the words that came out of my mouth, I'll give you a chance to shut me up. Right. You know, and, and I'm, I'm willing to accept that if I lose, hey, that guy that called me a misogynist beat the piss out of me in the gym. You know, maybe uh, I'll rethink my stance on Hillary Clinton <laughs> just out of respect that this guy came down here and tuned me up. Right, right. But the fact of the matter is, is there's, there's like, we, everybody loves to be a badass in a safe environment. Nobody wants to try to be a badass anymore out in the open. Well, that was like the, the whole road rage thing. I think is hilarious because you're only enraged when you're in that metal fucking box moving down the road yep. at fucking 80 miles an hour. As soon as that metal box stops and you get out, guess what? You're not mad anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the funniest fucking thing ever. It's hilarious. I don't know. And like to kind of get back to what we were talking about too is like it's like putting yourself to that mental stress or even physical stress that you'll be able to deal with that shit better later. You know what I mean? Like, so funny, like just yelling at somebody, like really aggressively yelling at somebody who is projecting that they're a tough guy and you like aggressively yell at them and see them wither. It's hilarious. And I'm like, I'm only using my voice. Wait till I get my mitts on you. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? There's it's, a great, there's a great, crazy. there's a great meme on the internet and it's like these, it's a Viking. I love all the Viking memes. And one of them says like, bad words and people yelling at you hurt you how is it to how how do you feel being that weak right. you know what i mean right. I, but it's true it's so true you have to watch like we've we've totally switched from that point where I, I say some pretty offensive shit but that's my right to say whatever i want like i can say whatever i want you also have the right to ignore me completely if you don't like what i'm saying on the podcast go switch over and sit and listen to somebody else's podcast but now we live in a society where it's i like 
you have the right somehow not to be fucking offended. Right. Like that shit offends me and I'm going to, I hope you get fired from your job. I hope they're going to try to, they're, they're going to try. It's like, no, 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 no. Like I have every right to offend you. It's your right not to listen. This, or or this even better, right. it's it's cool to be offended now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that recreational outrage yeah, thing. Yeah, righteous indignation. Right. Like this all goes back to, uh, I don't know if you've Participation awards. That <laughs> <laughs> goes way, way worse than that or way before that. Um, George Carlin, I mean, like one of his skits was about like uh, some priest that heard something on the radio that I, I think I'm actually saying it verbatim, like as one of my favorites is like some priest got offended by something you hear on the radio and decided to like be active about it. But like all he had to do was turn the knob. Yeah. That's all he had to do, and and I think I think what his quote was was was, was like, well, I guess that priest is just doesn't like things with two knobs on it. <laughs> <laughs> but but I mean, it, it it it's it's that same principle. It's just like you can, like if you're offended by something, like you can change that situation for sure. I mean, it's not like you have it. It's not like you're locked into this podcast and like, we're like, oh, I'm so offended by what what uh, Troy just said or Derek which said like. I have to continue listening and continue to be offended. Yeah. No. Turn it off. Right. Like if you're offended by it, turn it off. Listen to something else. I do it all the time with other people. I'm never, I'm never offended by anything because, but it was just like, ah, I, I, I'm, I'm not interested in this, but you always have a choice. And that's, that's one thing is like, you have a choice to not be stressed out and be in safe little bubble wrap environment. And you also have the choice to do something hard. Yeah, and like walking into a BJJ academy, it's fucking hard. Like, like, like I think when we when we had Pete on here, we were like, like, like Pete, it, it, like he gets so much credit just because like he knew nobody in the academy. He walked in by himself. He did so. He made a choice to do something really, really hard, and that's those stressors. That's the stress that you need to like put yourself in to grow as a human being, physically, mentally. Um, spiritually is you need to be in a stressful environment and like grow. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to, uh, if I can, I want to touch on two things. One's going to get my pee pee slapped. And then the, <laughs> the, the other one's just an observation as a society, we seem to find power in labels. So if you can label somebody as something, it almost takes away their credibility. So if I were to look at you and say, even if Hillary Clinton is and I, I I'm just saying this because it's it's timely. Even if Hillary Clinton is the better of the two choices between Trump and 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 Clinton, I don't like Hillary Clinton. There's something very hateable about her. When she starts talking and she gets to that point and her cadence starts becoming, <laughs> uh, that's good. Uh, for the listeners, I just got shown an internet meme that was uh, Hillary Clinton <laughs> having something. Never mind. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, I, I couldn't think of uh, pro- gentle euphemisms to to let that one skirt. But anyway, um, so if I look at you and I, I, when she hits that cadence, she starts sounding like the Mars attacks <laughs> aliens, where she's like, <laughs> ah, 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 and it's like I, I t- like it's it's irritating to my psyche. So I I won't vote for her simply because she's so unlikable, and not that that I think That's Trump's. I always say is like one. Fucking, she could have the best political policy in the entire world. I wouldn't know because as soon as she starts talking, I'm like, shut the fuck up. Oh, it's awful, dude. It's but fucking awful. She sounds like, a, and then another thing is she sounds like a nagging wife yeah. or a nagging mother. She's like that mother where you're like, 
Stop. Yeah. Stop it. Stop. Yeah, I'll take the trash out when I beat level 14. All right. Um, but anyway, so I I, I immediately I immediately I immediately ch- like check out. I'm not fucking voting for her, and this is why. And you'll get labeled, you know, well, it's because you're an alt-right, you're super conservative, and you or you're super you're this or you're that. They label you in an attempt to take away whatever validity that you have in that. When when you look at somebody and they're labeled as a paranoid schizophrenic, immediately when I deal with them on the street, I deal with them with a preconceived set of of notions like, okay, this guy, like he, he could be telling me the truth, like, hey, I was at the JFK assassination and that was an inside job. But I'm like, you're crazy. And it's because society has labeled him as such. So I, I hate the way we, we do that. Like PTSD was shell shock. It was battle fatigue. But once you get labeled with that, there's this stigma attached to it where all of a sudden you're not reliable and we shouldn't listen to you. The other part of that that I hate are the ASAs. There's this group of people that will be like, well, as an Asian American female, like just, just they're ASAs. They use that as if somehow as a group, as a minority, as a jiu-jitsu com- you know, competitor, all of a sudden now you need to listen to me more because I'm an ASA. Uh, as, a, as an African-American man, I have dealt with this. It's, it's almost that label is an attempt to bolster whatever your argument is. I now have to listen to it more because you're an ASA's. And that pisses me off too. It's like that makes, that makes no sense to me. I was watching this documentary on Netflix, and it's about a Boston comedian. Um, I, I forget his name off the top of my head, but it was a Boston comedian who was raped horribly oh, yeah, as, yeah, a, yeah. as a child. I, know you're talking about. I had to watch it because it was everybody was talking about it on all, all right. the the radio stations that I listened to. And there's this scene where this this woman is pro. She she goes to her she loses her son in the war. She goes down to George W.'s ranch and she wants to have FaceTime with him. And she literally says, she goes, this war is wrong because it took my son and I don't want to see another mother with a broken heart. The war needs to stop so there won't be any more mothers out there with broken hearts. And I'm, I, initially, I, I guess I understood, but I was like, your argument has no logical basis. You're comparing apples and oranges here. If you want to say the war is wrong because the motivation behind it is greed or whatnot, that I can understand. But trying to stop all the mothers with broken hearts by ending the war, I can't make that leap. That doesn't make sense to me. But she used that as a, as a mother who's lost a son in the war. We need to stop the war so there won't be as many more asas as there are right now because this war is causing mothers with broken hearts. And I'm like, I don't get your argument whatsoever. I don't get it at all. And just because your son's a hero, for sure. He fought for this country. He's a hero in my eyes. Just because you have a broken heart does not mean you have any more clout to stop what's to stop the, the corporate machine of war. You, you, I mean, you just don't. I need a better reason for that. You need to tell me that we're in there illegally. You need to tell me that we're in there for purposes that the government's hiding, which I'm sure they are. But as a mother with a broken heart, I don't necessarily think I need to listen to your opinion anymore. And does, doesn't that sound horrible? I mean, I, I get what I'm doing here by saying that. Like, there's going to be a lot of people like, you heartless, soulless son of a bitch. This mother lost her son. But I'm like... Just because she lost her son does not make her point any more valid to me than, say, if Derek says, I believe this war is wrong because a lot of innocents are dying. I can buy that argument a lot easier than I can, I don't want to see any more mothers with broken hearts. That doesn't make sense to me. So it's a very slippery slope. (laughs) (laughs) And a very touchy subject. 
and and I I uh, I think that well before you go on I think that the one difference between like the one, like I said it is a slippery slope and there's a, there's a, it's a it's a much broader conversation than I'm intelligent enough to have. <laughs> to be you. Was that a verbal tap out? But the, I think the difference is is that those people like yeah you know what you could have prevented that broken heart by not letting or you can't say. You, maybe directing your son in a different path. He chose that path. You know what I mean? I feel like, I mean, I don't know anybody that has directly been killed in action in the military, but like my best friend ever in the entire world, Josh is active duty. Now, if he got, I mean, I talk to him on a daily basis, so I kind of know or, or semi daily basis whenever I can talk to him that he wants nothing more than to go, be deployed again and be a gunfighter. And if he died doing it, I would be sad, but I wouldn't be brokenhearted because that was his choice. That's sure. what he chose to do. You know what I mean? Like you can't, I don't know. It's, it, I think that that's the one difference is you can't say this war needs to end because my son chose to go and fight for his country. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it, that's it, what he chose to do. That well, it was, really makes respect it about his choice. Yeah. It really makes it, her argument really turns this whole thing all about her. Right. And it's not. It's it's so much bigger than that. Right. The war needs to stop because I'm a broken-hearted mother because I lost my son. I, I, I. This war is not about you. I mean, right. not in the grand scheme of things, anyway. So it is. It's it's strange. It's just it's a strange. I, I think I like. I think one of the points that you're you're like kind of you're you're getting at is is basically there's a lot of people walking around with they are self-labeling. And they're just like, and and it it's become like such a me era. Mm. It's entitlement. Like it's all about they're all me. Entitled. Entitlement. And I blame and the it's millennials. Like, it's like I, I don't walk around as CrossFit coach. I don't walk around as range master. <laughs> just go ahead and say it. Like I don't walk around with like these labels all over me, like telling everybody. Like I, if somebody says, "What do I do for work?" I answer. This is what I do for work. Uh, if like, like, are you a coach here? Yes, I'm a coach here. But I walk around as Scott fucking Chamberlain all day long. I don't walk around as any of these levels. I don't walk around as white belt BJJ. Like, I mean, like, do you walk around? I'd be like, hey, my name's Derek Black Belt. How you doing? Like, it's walking around as just being like a human being. A walk. And, I get it. And, 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 and everybody wants to like keep on like giving these labels. And, and, and it's like, it's like if you were, uh, Derek, if you were going into uh, a sub shop and you wanted mayonnaise on your sub and they told you the mayonnaise is over there and we're like, listen, like, are you going to be like, listen, I'm a black belt. Um, that man, you need to put the mayonnaise on, on, on the I've sun. actually seen him like, do it. <laughs> it's kind of, it's awkward for everybody too, because the clerk has no idea what the fuck to do. But I don't, I don't, I don't just say, Hey, can you please, can, could you please? I'm like, put the fucking mayonnaise on my goddamn sandwich. <laughs> then he takes his belt out and slaps the, the kid across the face with it. No, I, I but, get what you're saying. But I mean, like all jokes aside, like, it, it's like, like, I mean, they, do you walk around like, do you walk around telling everybody you're a cop? No. In fact, I, if, if everybody, I, I would like it if I had like the thing on MIB where they flash, right. you know, once it comes out, I'd like to be able to erase it from your memory because it doesn't define me as a, me being a, a law enforcement officer does not define me as a human being at all. There's so much either more or less to me than, than that. Right. What bugs me is it your range master. Okay. 
if I have a question about, you know, is it my trigger control? Is it my site picture, my site alignment? It, that's a question that you can talk to because you have that label. You're a range master. Do I necessarily think... I don't know what that means. <laughs> don't get gotcha. specific. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> um, Thanks. Yeah. So, but that means... Um, I can ask you a question, and because of that label, I can expect an experienced answer. For you to jump up in front of Congress and argue no gun control or gun control, I don't think necessarily just because your job is gun-related that you're an expert to speak about what this country's gun control problem is or isn't. Your label is specific to this. If I want to know how to become a better shot, a better marksman, I'm going to ask you because your label is range master. If I want to know what your thoughts are, on gun control in this country, the mere fact that you're a range master does not make me want to give you any more weight as to why you think this country either needs more gun control and that's or less. That's the problem with this country is we are the our labels think that they entitle us to so much more. This mother, she can have a million and one reasons to stop want to stop the war, but because she lost a son in the war doesn't necessarily mean that I have to give her more weight to her argument. Granted, it's a tragedy, but I, I still think it's comparing apples and oranges. You're two different things. And like you said, his, she, we, in this country, we love to make everything about us. I'm going to put a yellow ribbon on my car because I'm in, what, is, what do yellow ribbon support? Is it the war, anti-war? Support, support the troops. Support the troops. The truth is, when I slap that on my car, the only people I'm really supporting are the people at the Yellow Ribbon Factory because I bought, I spent five bucks to, to do that. Because I drive around with that on my car does not mean I should have more say in what goes on in the war and whatnot because I've labeled it as a, I'm supporting this or that. If, you have, if you're labeled something, that label is confined to whatever that expertise is. If I have post-traumatic stress syndrome because of this, then I can speak to that. But if I have post-traumatic stress syndrome, there's no reason I should be talking to you about whether I'm pro-abortion or, you know, pro-life. Um, that doesn't give me any more weight. But we seem to want our labels to carry so much more weight and reach out further than they actually should. Does that make does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense to me. So I, I, but I have, a, so the thing that's, because just the way I think is what gives someone, and it's kind of a purely phys- philosophical, uh, you know, opinion i guess is what gives someone weight what what in the because we're so uh you know inundated with people who their opinions really should have no weight at all what gives someone no weight? having a facebook account definitely gives you weight yeah <laughs> if you don't post it on facebook it didn't happen right but like but like what does what gives like here here's a degree like hours of research uh into a subject uh you would have weight in uh, like like somebody's somebody's takedown at at, at, a, at a tournament or something like that, uh, Troy. Like there, I think it's just I think it's experience when it comes down to it, and, and it's like uh, and it's not just like a little bit of experience, well, that, but a boatload of experience. I guess I'm I'm, I'm going to try to answer your questions. So here here's the thing: in life, we take time to get to know individuals, and we let them into our lives. My father, I like to think of him as a very wise man, but I can critically think, and some of the advice he's given me has been advice that he himself 
it, it is more geared to his personality than it is mine. Right. But I think what gives people weight is you allow people into your lives. You you see to them. You see you look at them, and if you know them well enough, you can go. That guy's pretty squared away, and he's pretty grounded, and he knows. You know, he he's got a, a relatively good grasp on things. So when I decide to give people weight in a conversation, it's usually because I have some sort of background knowledge on them because they're a friend of mine and I trust their judgment. I've used them as a sounding board in the past. And I think regardless of the advice they've given, they've always tried to uh, do whatever's in your best interest. To that, so I have a real hard time when somebody steps up to a microphone and they have a doctorate in this and they have a label of this and a label of this that I should somehow l- listen listen to them more because that's what they what they say. If I listen to Neil deGrasse Tyson, okay, I, I've listened to him on the podcast before. I don't necessarily always agree with some of the stuff he says and some of the stuff he says I can't even comprehend because I'm dim. But that being said after listening to him for a lot of time, uh, you know, for, for a prolonged period of time, he has a little weight with me when I, when I have a question about the cosmos, I'm probably going to ask that fucking guy right there. Um, but it's only because I've let him into my, I haven't let Neil into my life. If you're listening, Neil, you come visit me anytime. I've got lots of fucking questions. Um, <laughs> but it's because I've listened to him over and over and over again. And so that I'm going to give that guy weight. When some guy comes in here and he says, the world is flat, and I have evidence to show you. Just go down to my, my YouTube page, down the rabbit hole. Like, I'm not giving that guy the same weight as I'm giving Neil deGrasse Tyson. Right. So I guess the, my next question is, talked about this like political landscape a little bit and, um, uh, you know, the current candidates, neither of which I have any weight <laughs> for. You know it's what I mean? awful, dude. This is the best we got. Right. But it's like, who, who, what would it take for someone, like, because I don't see anybody out there, you know what I mean? Like, and I mean, I, I guess I don't, but who, like, what, what would qualify someone to be the, the correct candidate at this point? You know what I mean? Like, I'm. In my opinion, we used to have presidents that were active military people they understood the landscape the battlefield if oliver north decided or general petraeus decided he was going to run for president that's somebody that i would give some serious weight to because i know that they have seen the shit they know what's really out there they're not salesmen per se they're not you got donald trump who is a quote-unquote successful business guy I got to hope that if he gets elected, he's a smart enough guy to know that he can't run all this shit and he's got to put some people into place. Right. Um, but like all the good candidates, all the people, all the pe- everybody that I think should be, it's almost as if they're not even considered. You look at what happened with Petraeus with those emails. With, with What got him in trouble? His P.E.K.K.A. <laughs> right. You know? And, and for whatever reason, that seems to disqualify him as a, as, a, as a candidate for president when you go, well, wait a minute, wasn't Clinton banging fat chicks in the Oval Office when he was in there? Like, right. And that never... It, it seems... I think the system presidentially and economically is rigged. I think... And oh, there's proof it is after what happened to fucking uh, Bernie Sanders. Jesus Christ. Dude, it, how, how many times can you win the popular vote and still lose the electoral vote? And I'm right. like, how is this happening? Right. Well, that's like, that's my other fear too, is like, it doesn't even matter. So like, no matter who your choice candidate is, you know, if I know I I won't pass too much judgment if it's Hillary Clinton, you know what I mean? (laughs) Or if it's Donald Trump, whatever is, it doesn't really matter who you want to be president. Someone else is going to pick for you anyway. That's it. You know what I mean? So like Donald Trump could win by a goddamn landslide. 
Hillary Clinton still has a really good chance of becoming president and vice versa. Oh, you know I think I mean? she's our next president. I think, Like I said, I think this was rigged from the get-go. It's crazy. It's just absolutely nuts. You know what I mean? It's just insane. I don't know. It's, uh. <laughs> yeah, no? No, uh, don't, don't want to touch that? I'm, uh, I'm not smart enough to talk politics. <laughs> you, uh, I, I'm, I'm also not involved enough to talk politics. I listen to different radio programs, whatever. I listen to both sides also, which is I think is an important thing. Like listening to uh, just Republican radio is going to start changing how you think about things. Right. Con- confirmation bias is yep. out there for yep. sure. Yep. Yeah. Like so I, I try to listen to everything, but I'm definitely not I, I'm definitely not involved enough to like give my own like a clout and opinion on uh, on the political landscape right now. It's but here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, when Hillary starts opening her trap, <laughs> all I hear is aliens. <laughs> Dude, she is the most hateable individual with her big bulldog face and her thick ankles. I can't stand her in her little business. Like I it's it's irritating to my psyche when I see her. We're going to make America. It's like oh and then Trump is just like to me there's a part of me that likes him because f- from the onset I love how uncomfortable he made all the other meat puppets look right. like they they would shove they would shove a a microphone in Ted Cruz's face there's another hateable dude right he looks like an angry bird um They'd shove a microphone in his face, and you know he already knows, like nine times out of ten, what somebody's going to ask him. He's practiced it, you know. Well, you know, I think the war in Iran, and blah blah blah. He's going to answer it just like, like, like that. But when you stick a microphone in his face, and they said Donald Trump says Mexicans are rapists, what do you think? You could almost see him start to sweat. Like, okay, I wasn't prepared for this question. Right. Uh, how do I, how do I negotiate this? Where's my writing team? Right. Why, you know, it's like Trump brings a level of in-your-face honesty or dishonesty, however you want to look at it, that I love how uncomfortable he makes the rest of the world. Yeah. So I, I, I can agree with that. Like I I I like the fact that things He's not he's, status quo. No. He's he's shaking things up a little bit. And and I do like I do like that. And and it's like you said, Ted Cruz is it's like it's like how long are we going to put up with these uh, political candidates that are fed answers and they're prepped and they've got hours and hours and hours of like sitting down with political analysts and like, I mean, like how, like what corn, what, what tie is going to be great for this event? Like, should they roll up their sleeves for this event? Like, I remember there was a movie about that, like, like political. Wag the dog. Uh, yeah, right? it was Wag the dog. Was, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, it's so that calculated. type of thing. It's yeah. like everything is so calculated. And, and I think, uh, uh, Trump's, Trump's like the uh, the Charlie from Sunny uh, Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> like, uh, wild car bitches. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. It's like, and and that's I mean that's kind of, but at the same time it's like, it's like the uh, the meme that's been going around with uh, Ace Ventura with the uh, arrow in the legs <laughs> arrows in the legs. He was like ah ah, ah. And, and that's where we're at. I mean. It's a weird ass time. Here's, it's also really scary. It, it is scary. It, we're we're on tenuous ground, if you ask me. Yeah. That, I mean, and, and and you look at the you look at the news, right? And um, 
you know, my, my, you know, people go, Hey, did you see what happened in Turkey? And I'm like, yes. And I'm very upset about it. And they're like, well, what, why are you upset about it? I go that I had to listen and learn about Turkey today. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to know that shit. Right. But what, to get back to Trump, um, what I do like about him is he does have a Putin-esque style to him like i love vladimir putin okay like i know he, <laughs> i know there's a lot just, just, just listen just, hear me I, I want the i really want the calendar because it's kind of awesome <laughs> hear, hear me now i listen i don't necessarily agree with him ideal uh, his ideology but that being said the russian people actually have a leader that they can be somewhat proud of and he's trying to restore a little bit of greatness to what was a great empire at one point and the biggest <laughs> the biggest threat to us i get it i get it but you have to you have to you there's something that you have to like about the guy you when i figured when wait, I, who is your wait 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 stop who is your favorite character who is your favorite character? In, in, you, you cannot tell me that at least 70% of the nerds out there that watch avidly and read all the books, like Darth Vader's not one of their favorite characters. Not reality. Well, neither is this. Neither is this. <laughs> so anyway, like, I like Donald Trump because he's a little bit of a destroyer. At the beginning of it, everybody thought Jeb Bush was going to be like, oh, he's going to be one of the front runners. He destroyed I think, him. I, I think he talked. Jeb Bush talked to his brother and his father, and was like, "Fuck this! I don't <laughs> want this goddamn job." <laughs> so, <laughs> it was terrible. So Donald Trump said one thing: "You look like you have low energy." And for the rest of his campaign, Jeb never got like. When you hear one person, one presidential candidate, kind of go after another one like that, that was unheard of. Like that, they, they dance around the issues. Well, you voted this and this, and this is what happened in your administration. Donald Trump just got up to the microphone and they said, what are your thoughts on Jeb Bush? And he turns and he looks at me and goes, he looks like he's a little low energy. Jeb Bush <laughs> never recovered from that. He spent the rest of it not even campaigning, but just trying to prove to people that he had energy. Sleeves rolled up, out with a common man. Donald Trump got inside his fucking head and just destroyed him. There's something like that is a quality I want in a leader. When we go to foreign countries and we try to negotiate there is a part of me that wants that guy who looks at the sultan and he's like you know your hair is a little oily today and after that the sultan can't get can't you know we, they're giving us money and you know the, the, the ability to manipulate people in that way hillary is going to be much of the same as obama the same as bush the same as clinton they talk about the right and the left the truth is the parties to me are the same yeah. there there's very little difference Bernie Sanders was our best chance, in my opinion, right. of having something new, fresh, and exciting, um, and just some change. And the truth is, everybody's like, he's a socialist, and we're going, it's Marxism, and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, the, you guys give the president way too much power. If he can move the needle just a little bit this way before he's all done, then that's the mark he made. Do, do, you, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'd like to see... What Trump is like, how, like, everybody's scared he's going to take the needle and put it all the way. It, the governor will be all the way in the red. And, and I, I don't think that's going to happen that way. He's not going to be able to affect that <laughs> kind too, of change. There's too many roadblocks, yeah. for sure. But I do want to see things shaken up because I, I do think that the way that the current world is working right now, it can't sustain like this. We can't fucking sustain like this. Uh, you say that though, but it's been sustaining like this for a long fucking time. And even if you say it hasn't, I just think it's because people aren't aware. They're like, gonna make this, America great again. This fucking <laughs> it's gonna be terrific, terrific. 
Look at my wife. She's hot. She's hot as shit. That was. How'd you like that to be your first lady? It'd be terrific. It's <laughs> terrific. <laughs> that was the other thing that fucking threw me for a loop was when everyone, the whole plagiarism of, she plagiarized all of one sentence in a speech. Meanwhile, no one even remembers the fact that our vice president plagiarized a million speeches by John F. Kennedy. Like, yeah. like that was like his deal. Like that's what he did. He just recited John F. Kennedy speeches. You're dealing with a society that can ignore the fact that Caitlyn Jenner fucking killed somebody on the freeway and put her on a cover of a magazine and call him the, or it whatever the bravest fucking person in the world. And I'm like, right. son of a bitch just killed somebody out of the highway. Right. But that's the society that we live in and, right. and, and, and until we fucking wake up. And I don't know what it is that's going to to wake us up. Well, it's, uh, it, this a, is a catastrophe. Maybe we're, we're coming full circle it, or in my mind, things are kind of coming full circle. What we were talking about was people walking around being offended all the time. And it seems like every week it's one new thing to be offended by. Uh, one more, one new thing that like people just are like getting up out of their seats and be like, I don't fucking like this. And then they get offended by it. And like all of a sudden turn around the corner and there's one new thing to be offended yeah. by. And it's like we're just jumping from like issue to issue over and over and over and over again um and and is it, i don't the, even know how to change it the, the question is is are the issues just subterfuges to what we're really trying to like I, do they exist and are they exacerbated by the by the press and the media so that we are distracted so that we are sheeple just walking around following the the sheepdog i think it's, it's a catch point too though because i think with the amount of people that it's it's gone from like people should be offended to they are offended to they shouldn't be offended anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's been this gradual like bell curve where we've gone from the same point to the highest of points to back down to a low point just on the different end of the bell curve. You know what I mean? I feel like people getting offended at, you know, it's like there are some things you should be outraged about. You should get pissed off. You know what I mean? I mean, maybe that's not, you, you need to stop being offended and you need to start getting mad. You know what I mean? Right. And, and, but be mad about things that actually make a fucking difference and matter. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's fucking awesome that two dudes that like each other can get fucking married. Sure. Good for you. You know what I mean? I think it's awesome that if you want to smoke fucking pot till it fucking, you're goddamn retarded and you want to do that, no one can tell you not to do that in some states. That's fucking awesome. But don't tell me that I have to, you know, do something because it's offending you. You know what I mean? Right. Like, don't like, force your agenda on me. Right. So I think that that people getting offended or or getting angry about some things and fighting for their civil liberties and and things like that was awesome. But now it's just coming back around to you know they they they're calling it the the regressive left now. Yeah. Because they're not being progressive anymore. They're not they're not telling people that you should be able to do whatever you want as long as it's not hurting anybody. They're saying, you can't do anything you want because it's hurting a few people. What, what I want to know is, what is the, the, the fucking sticking point? Like, how is it that we have to be... Cons like, so when Caitlyn Jenner came out, and I, the only reason I'm, I'm bringing it up is because I just was talking about it. There's this whole new thing about transgender bathrooms and this, that, and the other thing and how people identify with this and identify with that. That became a... a like so important for this nation. Meanwhile, we still have homeless people. We still have hungry people. We still have, you know, uh, w when they 
caved all the funding for mental health and just all these mental health issues are out on the street for the cops to have to deal with. Why is it that we are getting hung up on a, a transgender bathroom? What, why does that, is that really what we should be as a society thinking about what's important? I don't, I don't understand why that is a sticking point and still we have homeless veterans and we have, home, and I'm not trying to be a social justice warrior here or a white knight. I just can't figure out where the fuck we're getting our priorities from. I, oh, we're getting our priorities from the, from the news. Media, social but, but, media. But here's the thing is like, I mean, I, so make a fucking bathroom. For transgenders and shut the fuck up about it. You know or, what I mean? Or, like it's like, it's like or con- conversely, and this is going to make me really unpopular. I had to explain to my daughters what the tra- whole tran- transgender thing. So I'm like, I'm like, okay. So I'm trying to do this as best I can. And I'm like, some people are born one way, but they don't identify with that. They identify with something else. So th- we're trying to accommodate for that. And then I remember saying, like, why are you telling them this this stuff? Because the the fact of the matter is, I don't get to walk around and look at you guys and go, I identify as a tall person. I'm not. I'm fucking short. <laughs> Why, like, just because, why are we catering to people? Because you identify, live your life, live your life. If you want to dress in a dress, live your life, be happy with that. But why are you forcing your agenda on me? Why, as a business owner, do I now have to erect a transgender bathroom? I go to whatever bathroom you want. You, 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 there's a boy and a girl, you, you, whichever one you feel like that day, go use that one. Just go, it's, it's, it's a bathroom. But why, do we, why are we allowing people to walk around and have them tell us, oh, I, I don't, like, I'd love to look at my employer and go, I don't identify with uh, being a hard worker. I identify with being lazy and just sucking up a paycheck every week, so don't call me for overtime. I'm not going to do anything extra. That's how I identify. It's like, that's bullshit. It's, it's, it, to me, that's bullshit. We don't get, we, we pander to these people who, for whatever reason, they don't identify or they don't believe that the world has given them a fair shake. Get in fucking line. The world hasn't given every everybody a fair shake. Granted, there are some people who get to start at third base and run home, and that's the only lap that they have to take. Some of us started at home, and we're still fucking circling the bases. Me, I'm caught in a pickle between second and third. And, and that's, that's the life I live, is running back and forth trying to figure out which base I can get to that's safe. But what is it about us that we can't put food on somebody's plate but we could build a fucking restroom because that person identifies that way but uh, but here's, here's the thing that i had to say about that is like you know what if you fucking call me up and i'm a store owner and i'm like yeah i need a pair of pants all right fucking how tall are you uh, uh, like w- like what do you need i need I'm, I'm really tall i need a tall pair of pants all right what size are they all right the 27 inch seam i'm not gonna be like outraged that you said you were tall and you need a 27 inch seam i'm gonna be like all right here's a 27 inch seam and fucking call it a fucking day i get it you know what i mean like it we're making a big deal about shit that just shouldn't be a big deal you know if everyone stopped acting like children for five fucking seconds and acted like a goddamn adult none of this would be a goddamn issue it's like when fucking a cop shows up and fucking they have their and, and it's police brutality or whatever well if you would both of you the police officer and the fucking perpetrator would stop acting like a child for five fucking seconds and act like an adult, it'd be null and void. It wouldn't be a fucking issue. Act like a goddamn adult. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. fucking, if you're a business owner and you want to build a third bathroom, build your third fucking bathroom. Shut the fuck up about it. You actually, <laughs> you actually, and I hope I'm not cutting you, but you actually just brought up a point. Like, so I've been doing this for almost 17 years, since 1999. And, um, Everybody's asking me, like, well, what's going on? Why are all these cops shooting people? And what's, what's, and I'm like, 
Well, first of all, I'm not necessarily convinced that this is anything new. I just think we're in, a, in an age where everything's out there. There is no... I got news for you. If, you, if you're sending dick pics to a, a girlfriend... It's you don't bother running for president because somebody's going to put your wiener up on, you know, WMUR news going, this guy flashing his wiener everywhere. You'll never be a president because everything's so out in the open there. We, we live in an age where there's almost no privacy whatsoever. But that being said, everybody's asking me, like, what's the what's the biggest issue? Why are cops doing it? OK, so let me speak to that. When I started and I got out of college, this was a career, not a job not something like I need benefits, I think I'll try being a cop. It was a job. It was my career. So I, I, I automatically assumed I'm going to spend 20 years in this retirement system and I'm going to get my 20-year pension and I'm going, to be, I'm going to do as best at this job as I possibly can. Well, they continue to, like police officers, any civil servant, police officers, teachers, firefighters, we're looked upon as society as a drain because your tax money that you don't like paying to begin with, that's where we get our revenue from. I get paid by taxes in the town, county taxes, state taxes, whatever. So we're automatically not liked on that reason. So they're always trying to keep costs down. We don't want to pay police officers much money. And the fact of the matter is, if you don't pay police officers a good wage and there's no vetting process or not a real good vetting process for police officers, you are going to lose the people who wanted to do this as a career, and this is something they were passionate about at one point in time. Uh, they wanted to continue their education. They wanted to learn. They wanted to be better at it. Um, you're asking a profession to be an enforcer, a social worker, marriage counselor, juvenile counselor. There's always different facets to the job, but you still want to pay. That's a white call. That's a that should. That should be a white-collar job, especially if I have to sit down and marriage counsel you and your wife because it almost came to blows. Or it did come to blows, and I'm arresting somebody, and I have to figure out how to make sure that she's okay before we leave. That, there's a lot to that job, and that's just one area of it. You continuously pay people a, a very meager wage at what should be a much higher wage. You're not going to get the applicants for that job that you, that you need. Long gone are the days of people wanting to be law enforcement as a career. More and more people are, I just got laid off from the shipyard. I need a job through the winter. I think I'll try being a cop. I'm not necessarily saying that those are the type of people who are making the bad decisions during critical incidences and shooting. But if there was a, if the job was more highly sought after because it had a better wage in the vetting process between you getting that job and actually getting a gun and getting a patrol car, if there was a better vetting process and more money involved and a college education involved and you got an applicant pool truly worthy of what is a huge burden. The job is a burden. That amount of leadership and control, the ability to take somebody's freedom away from them is a burden. Shouldn't be given to the guy who just lost his job at UPS and he now, now he thinks he wants to be a cop. If he didn't want to be a cop since he was a kid and this isn't something he's passionate about, then that guy shouldn't have a badge and a gun. Unfortunately, you got places like Chicago where they can't keep a patrol officer long enough and they just need a body and a uniform. And that's exactly what you're going to get is a body and a uniform, not somebody who's capable of critically thinking through situations, not somebody who's a good problem solver, somebody who wants to work their shift and hopefully go home that night. And that's not necessarily the kind of cop I want guarding, you know, the people I care about. Oh, and I think it goes back to the fact that these cops, not only is it everything you just said, but now you're being asked to deal with everybody's minute fucking problems. 
you know what? When like, <clears throat> so I'm a wicked dog lover. You know what I mean? I, I I would literally take a bullet for my dog. And if there's a lost dog somewhere and I see it running down the street, I'm the first person to drop whatever I do and fucking go look for this dog. But I'm not going to call the cops and be like, my dog is lost. The first thing I'm going to do is go flip my dog, goddamn dog. And that's not everyone's first fucking reaction. You know what I mean? It's like, fucking someone come fucking save me. Be an adult for five fucking seconds and none of this shit would happen. So when you and your wife have a goddamn argument, don't act like a fucking child and feel like you need to fucking yell and scream and take it in the street and beat each other or whatever the fuck you're going to do, you know? Act like an adult for five fucking seconds. Resolve it about amongst yourselves and no one would be getting shot. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, we just have, and, but on the other end of that is those same people who aren't acting like adults and committing these crimes are also applying to be police officers. So you have fucking a double-edged sword with a cop that's fucking not capable of being a cop and a perpetrator who's not capable of being an adult two assholes meet and fucking shit's gonna go wrong we we are tasked with the impossible job of immediately restoring order and peace to a situation that probably took years to deteriorate and we have to leave both parties thinking that they both won even if that guy's walking out in a pair of handcuffs, I have to somehow, con- unless I have to get physical with him, I have to somehow convince him that this is in his best interest. You're losing, we're losing the cops that have that ability because not everybody wants to work for $25 an hour, nights, weekends, holidays, bad shifts, bad people, only to get a 20-year retirement that you have to turn around and go get a job. It's like my retirement is not going to... Everybody thinks we have a golden parachute for the retirement system because it's a 20-year retirement. You get to retire in 20 years? Well, first of all, let me tell you, those 20 years weren't the best 20 years of my life. For some of them, some people walked the golden mile and they, they, they made it to the rank of captain. In the last 10 years, they sat behind a desk and life was good for them. But for the frontline guy, the, the patrolman who has been in patrol working nights, weekends, holidays for 20 years of his life, giving up giving up on his family, giving up on everything because you're indoctrinated to think that the job comes first is, one, it's a crime against nature. And two, this guy, as soon as he gets his 20 and pulls his retirement, he's working down at Home Depot trying to supplement his income because that retirement that they promise you at the end isn't enough because the cost of milk still keeps going up even though you're making the same on your retirement every year. Right. Um, to, that, to that point... Uh, Sorry. Bad, it's a bad habit, and I'm going to quit. Um, I'm running into something, and, I, and this is the thing that's probably going to get my, my pee-pee slapped, is I'm institutionalized. 17 years of shift work, patrol work, not being able to go to family outings, not being able to do any of those things. Uh, missing your kids' baseball games, missing you know important time at home and whatnot. Now I work for an agency where I primarily work days. And I have weekends off and it's going to either, I'm either going to have to figure out how to gingerly step back into my marriage or find a way to gingerly step out and to step out of your marriage and get a divorce is catastrophic for a cop because that now means they get half your retirement, you're paying child support and all these other things. But I'm so institutionalized that when I get home, I don't know, because for so long we were ships passing in the night, Right. I don't know how to navigate taking my kids to a game. I don't know how to navigate being at my house on the weekends and not have something to do other than just be a family guy. So 
this is either going to be the end of my marriage ultimately, or I'm going to, I'll reinvent myself and figure it out. And it's on me. It, I can't look at you and say, the system did this to me. I'm institutionalized. This is everybody's fault but mine. I allowed this to happen. And I gotta fi- I, I'm going to have to somehow figure out how to work my way either back in or work my way back out. Either way, it's not going to be good. When you walk in and you say, hey, I'll take so-and-so to their baseball game and then I'll go take so-and-so here. And your wife looks at you and goes, step the fuck back. I've been doing this for 17 years. I got this. You know, it kind of leaves you with that like, oh shit, how much, how much did I really sacrifice to, to be the cost of being me? I'm, I'm figuring out now maybe wasn't worth it. Maybe it is. Maybe, who knows? Maybe I get to start a brand new life and life is good. You know, I'm not, I'm not doom and gloom. I don't want to sit here and be like Eeyore, like the clouds over my head. But what I'm saying is that's, that's what we deal with that the public doesn't understand. Like everybody hates us because we have authority. Cause it's easy. It is easy to hate us. It's, it's, it's easy. And that's, I think, I think that's a, one of the, one of the biggest things when I, when I see people like ranting and raving about cops on, on social media is, is like, it's easy to, to vilify you guys because you are in a position where like you can, like you said, like, like you have the power to take away somebody's freedom. Um, you can't punch a congressman in the face because you, how often do you meet a congressman who or writes the laws or votes for laws? You can't punch a senator in the face because how often are they there? How often do you get to punch me in the face because I'm the guy that shows up on your doorstep when somebody calls for help? Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm easily hateable. And 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 that and that's like one of the biggest problems is like people are just so ready to be like, oh fuck cops, like ACAB, all all that stuff. And like it, there was a period of time when I was younger in the punk rock scene, and it was just like it was like yeah, I'm like indoctrinated with all this like like anti-establishment, like, like anti-establishment, and like all cops are bastards, all that stuff. And I was like, man, I was a fucking blind asshole when i was a kid and and i think it's it's probably even worse because not only that i mean that's it's not just the punk rock scene anymore like it's every kid these days i mean most kids don't like the authority figures anyways because that's natural that's just nature um all kids are going to hate an authority figure at some point when they're coming up but do you do you feel like there there's even more scrutiny from kids. I mean, like the. I mean, like when you pull somebody over, do you think it's like like are the cell phones immediately out, recording the entire conversation, and one of the people in the car is deciding to be that kid that wants to run his mouth and see where he can take the conversation? Sure. There's a. So when I was a kid, I used to hang out in Portsmouth all the time. Uh, my family is in like Newington, Portsmouth area. I lived in Nottingham, but anyway. You, you knew that when a cop looked at you and said, hey, move it along, don't sit on the sidewalk, you, you just did it. You're like, yes, sir, and you, you'd start moving along. Nowadays, I roll down the window, and I'll say, hey, kids, can you move it along? The store owner doesn't want you hanging out in front. Fuck you. You know, I have right. Every, it, we live in an age of entitlement where everybody's entitled to their rights. I'm safe. You don't get to tell me what to do. More and more, you see all these sovereign citizens pop up who renounce uh, the establishment per se. And 
you know, you'll, they'll roll down the window and you're like license and registration. And they're like, well, I don't have to give you that. And you're like, actually by statute, you do have to give me that. Well, why do I have to give you that? Cause you were driving on a way. I'm not driving, I'm traveling. And they'll pull out all these documents saying that, you know, as I, I renounce my citizenship, I'm a sovereign citizen. I'm free to travel the roads. There's no tax to travel the roads and you don't have the right to stop me. So there's this whole minutia that uh, a, a normal cop has to, navigate now and the level of resistance that we meet um especially by kids and, and parents um they're really not the like the baby boomer generation is not as bad as this like millennial generation where they walk around thinking that they're the most important person on earth and how dare you infringe on my rights and in the grand scheme of things all i'm trying to do is maintain order um and they, they don't they don't get that because they don't see a bigger picture there's no sense of of civic responsibility anymore there's no sense of community anymore. It's a sense of you're infringing me, my rights. And I'm like, if you feel that way, it's because when you became a citizen here, you renounced your authority to take justice into your own hands and you gave it to a sovereign to do that for you. That's, that's, otherwise, it'd be the Wild West. People would be dueling pistols in the, in the streets. So there's this reaction now where people want to get back to that. Like, I'll settle my own differences, even though they're still calling the cops for everything. You don't have the right to tell me what to do. And my solution to that problem is, <clears throat> I would recommend, it's a, it's a neat social experiment, let's take a town or a city and let's get rid of all the cops. See what happens. Well. If it's a good, and, and I don't know the outcome. I have, it I could have, be a I utopia. Two, two things about to say about that. One is that if any cop out there runs into a person that, has paperwork saying that they're a sovereign citizen and cop can't do anything about them. Please call me. I will show up, beat the shit out of them. <laughs> and when they want help, you can say, no, you're a sovereign citizen. Handle it your fucking self. See how fucking far that goes. Cause I guarantee after I get my goddamn mitts on them, they'll want to be a fucking citizen of the United States again. That's number one. Number two is the town that I grew up in has no cops. There's no police force. The sh county sheriff will roll through every now and then, but Two things happen. One is it's a pretty quiet town anyway. There's only two stop signs in the whole town, two stoplights in the whole town. Not a lot happens, but every couple of years, there's a huge shootout somewhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think that it, it I forget how the quote necessarily goes, but you either want the freedom of a sheep or the freedom of a lion. The freedom of a sheep doesn't have to deal with, uh, getting their own food, uh, defending themselves, and all that shit. But they got to be afraid of that fucking lion. And the freedom of a lion has to deal with all that shit, but they're not afraid of anybody. You got to pick one. There's, right. no, there's no in-between. And I think that that's, that's a lot of things that a lot of people aren't. They want it both ways. They want their cake and eat it too. They don't want to have their rights infringed yeah. upon. They don't want to have anybody tell them what to do. They want to go do what they want to do when they want to do. They want to be able to be offended because but they want someone to hold their hand and take care of them the whole time it's happening yeah colonel grossman actually wrote a great article about it it talks about cops being sheepdogs or wolfhounds and basically he says that it's our job to protect the sheep from the wolf the sheep don't like us because we remind them of the wolf and we also remind them that the wolf is out there and we all want to walk around thinking that nothing bad can happen to me that kind of takes that conversation about situational awareness and how right. everybody's soft um 
they, they people walk around with this illusion of freedom and this illusion that nothing bad will ever happen to them. But they don't want us because the sheepdog's job or, or the wolfhound's job is to steer the flock in the direction, not let them get stratified, not let them get too far apart, keep them together. The sheep don't like being led by the thing that looks like the wolf. It's a, it's a real interesting thesis, and it also talks, it also goes into how we're all type A personalities. Like when, when I'm in a uniform, I'm an alpha. When you roll up and there's another cop there, he's an alpha, and the two sheepdogs don't necessarily like each other. That's why a cop's worst nightmare is another cop who's out to get him because he'll nitpick and, and go to the administration with everything he thinks that you're doing wrong. And it has more to do with I'm the, I'm the silverback here, not you. And I'm gonna go. I'm gonna achieve that position by any means necessary. So, that's a dynamic. But yeah, the the people don't like to think of themselves as sheep. Number one, they don't like to know that the wolf is roaming the outskirts of the forest. Number two, and number three, they certainly don't be like being shepherded by somebody in authority that looks very similar to the wolf. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's a, it's a, the whole thing is an interesting dynamic. Anyway. Absolutely. What else do you got to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, something tells me Troy's got a lot to talk about. <laughs> I, I do, but oddly enough, when I used to do a podcast, I used to have to be very careful about identifying myself as a police officer. Right. Because the, the, the truth is, the freedom of speech is very limited insofar as I can't get prosecuted for anything I say. But if I bring any kind of negative light toward the job or toward, that's why I never mentioned what agency I work for, right. toward the agency that I work for, I can sure as hell get fired for that. So it's a, it's a, I, 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 there's a million things I'd love to talk about. And when I, before I die, I'm hoping to write like my manifesto so everybody can go like, oh my God. Right. Um, but I have to be judicious with my words and careful with what I say, because if I do offend somebody, uh, it's very plausible that they will go after my career and my livelihood. I feel like gotta it's, watch it's, out for those people getting offended. Right. I feel like it's so out there though. Anyway, like at this point, what, more harm could you do to an agency you know what i mean like right. it's crazy like, it, it's it's perception too and, and the, the 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 thing is police departments are amazingly insulating insofar as you're not this actually written in in we have to abide by don't do anything that brings negative attention to the agency and don't talk about the agency in a in a negative light simply going to a cocktail party and if I if I'm having a bad day and I'm drinking or whatnot and I start smashing on the place that I work at or I start smashing, you know, people I work with, I can actually get in trouble for that because I violated policy. Like no other job. Like if you worked at Liberty Mutual, not only could you trash Liberty Mutual the next time you go out to the Rusty Hammer and get your wimpy burger. But <laughs> you can trash the guy who works in the cubicle next to you. You could tr you could smash on them. Right. I I can't do that. And it's almost it's almost like living in a in a in a way a religious cult. You're not allowed to talk about the church. You're not allowed to talk ill about the church. You're not about you, you know it's it's in incredibly insulating. The other the other half of that is I got into a instance when I was relatively uh, incident uh, when I was relatively new on the job. I was only like five years on, and this guy is blasting his horn. He's from Maine. He's blasting his horn at this old woman trying to cross the street. <laughs> and immediately, <Yes>. immediately, <laughs> I jump to anger, right? So I jump out of my car. I'm off duty. And I look at this guy and I'm like, dude, cut the shit. She's an old lady. She's just trying to cross the street. And he's like, who the fuck are you? And he gets out of his car. He's a big dude. And uh, my wife was with me at the time and she's like, don't. 
don't. Because before I was a cop, I was very willing to settle somebody's hash if, if I felt that that's what needed to get done. And it dawned on me that the newspaper won't read Good Samaritan steps in and, you know, put, you know, presses guy's reset button roadside that was harassing an old lady. It's going to read off-duty cop assaults civilian. And I realized that I'm, now that I've chosen this profession, I'm literally helpless to enact any kind of justice that could be, see, be perceived as an Street assault. justice. <laughs> but <laughs> conversely, if I worked at, say, Liberty Mutual, I could go settle that guy's hash. And the truth of the matter is, probably never affect me in the job whatsoever. If I get stopped, I don't drink and drive. I, I never have. I don't even, if I have, if I go out, I won't even have a beer just because I don't want to get stopped by the cop and have him, you know, one beer, he probably let you go, no issues. But he's going to go back and go, hey, that off-duty so-and-so reeked of booze. when I, So I don't even drink when I go out. Right. You could work for any company, get popped for DWI, and as long as you can find a ride to work every day, doesn't affect your job right. at all. Right. I get anything, parking ticket, whatnot, that can be used to terminate me. So we walk a very, very... Slippery slope.